Ladies and gentlemen, tonight's performance will include oxes, asses, shepherds dropping deuces, and a merry as big as a house. All this and more on this Christmas spectacular deep dive episode of Created Things. Happy Christmas and welcome to this Yuletide edition of Created Things, the only podcast on the arts hosted by two men who believe that pooping in a field might be a sacred act. I am your host, artist and psychotherapist Jacob Flores Popcheck, and with me as always is my good and excellent friend, Dominican priest, Father Gabriel Toretta. How are you doing today, Father? I mean... I was doing fine, but now I'm so wrapped up with this thought about pooping in a field, which I just wasn't really ready for, you know, but I'm, <laughs> I feel like I want to have the kind of heart that could always be available to think about the sacramentality of pooping in a field. I'll get there someday, Jacob. Yeah, that's this is aspirational. Yeah. This is like vision. I thought you were gonna say this is ass burgers, which it was which is one way of going with it, but I didn't that's not where I was hoping we were gonna go. Ugh. So we'll just stick with no, aspirational. No, yeah, good. Yeah, aspirational, yeah. I mean, I guess it's arguable, but but no, I'm I'm gonna keep that on my vision board for now. I do think though that you and I are starting because as we often say, we don't plan this these podcasts at all. We decide on a topic, we both think of what we wanna say, and then we don't tell each other and and that includes these intros which we take turns doing and i feel like we're increasingly just sort of throwing each other like a monkey wrench every time we intro the podcast where you'll intro it and i genuinely don't know what in the living hell you're talking about what would like you say yeah exactly that's uh this is kind of the goal i mean we're getting we're getting close to the point where it, this is going to be it's like the speech equivalent of like dada art you know it's like here's a <laughs> toilet and i broke something <laughs> <laughs> I nailed a banana to a wall. Call the cops. <laughs> I used to have a ministry partner um, back when I was like doing, you know, ministry when I was a young wide eyed Franny. Um, I, I am more jaded now. Yes. But we but but we used to do some um, like theology of the body ish type talks. And um, this this guy did like amateur close up magic. OK. And. So what he would do is he would like get on stage and without warning me, he would just do a trick. Like he would often do this where he would just do a trick at the beginning to like warm up the crowd. And then he would say, and now my ministry partner, Jacob, will explain what that trick has to do with the theology of the body. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And so like it became a game where we would just do this and like try to screw with each other and see we... We got drunk before talks a couple of times. Mm, seems solid, yeah. If we could deliver it right, and like, we always did a really good job, but but we would we would come as close to not doing a good job as we possibly could for fun. That's well, <laughs> you know, when you're given the when you're given the same set of talks that are maybe a little bit boring at one point, like that's kind of how things go. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. That is absolutely how things go. Yeah. That is absolutely how things go. Hopefully, that's not how this podcast goes. We 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 are edgy, but we're not edge lords. Yeah, and right now I'm seeing you drink um, what purports to be Starbucks coffee, but uh... yeah, I'm drinking a peppermint mocha today. And actually, ooh, this reminds me. So the last two episodes, I've been wearing Christmas sweaters. Yeah, what's wrong with you? You're like half naked. 
Oh, just hold oh, on. Oh, don't stand up. Oh, do you. not. Oh, by the way, you, you those of you who are, who are only listening to this podcast, you should thank your lucky stars right now. Because Jake is about no, to stand up. I am wearing a shirt. I'm wearing pants, and I'm not even about He's to stand up. He's not even about to stand up. Okay, so now we've been given false promises. Okay, yes? Right. No, 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 no. No, no, hold on. I wore my two consecutively favorite Christmas sweaters. The first one, I wore a reindeer sweater. The last one, we didn't even get to talk about because we jumped in the topic too fast, but I, I wore a polar bear sweater where the polar bear oddly looks like me. Okay. And that's why I have it. He has like the same hipster glasses and like the same goatee and he, he looks just like me. So I wore that last time. This time I'm not wearing a, uh, a Christmas sweater. I'm just wearing my classic white Henley. But that's because I wanted to surprise you with what I was going to put on. Is that a Macklemore pimp jacket? Oh, no, wait. It's even better. It's a full-on leather Santa coat. Okay. Um, gentle listener, I didn't know that le- that Santa coats came in leather or that leather coats came yeah. in Santa. I don't know what to say. This is It's leather. It's got, like, reindeer fur around the collar and the hood. Here's the hood up. Oh, my gosh. Like, you could legitimately, like, be in an Arctic wilderness in that. It's so warm, it's ridiculous. How far down does it go? It, like, does it go down to your knees? It's, it goes down to my ankles. This is the, how did like, you full get, length of this How did you get this? Did you, okay, did you so kill Santa? You and did you just, you can say, I did not, just I nod did not yes Santa. or no. Okay. I did not kill Santa. So... Um, and if you guys want to see this coat, you should check out the YouTube version. Search Created Things on YouTube. But... Um, there is a, a series of films on Netflix. They came out with the first one two years ago. Came out with the second one last year, called The Christmas Chronicles, mm-hmm. where Kurt Russell yes plays a like sexy rock star badass version of Santa Claus. Okay, we all could have seen that coming. What you don't see coming though is how passionately Christian these movies surprisingly are. What? Because it's the only Santa, so he like, he like plays rock guitar and he like flies this awesome sleigh pulled by the reindeer and he's super magical and like kind of a bad boy Santa, but it's the only Christmas movie I've ever seen that explicitly says and shows that Santa and St. Nicholas are one and the same. Huh. At at one point, there is actually a flashback where a character says, now this was when he was still bishop in Asia Minor, and they show him in full vestments going door to door, putting stuff in shoes. That's awesome. And then the plot of the second one is that apparently what keeps Santa alive forever is that he has a shard of the Star of Bethlehem that fell to Earth as a meteor. Uh-huh. The Star of Bethlehem was a meteor, and it's inside the Christmas star at the North Pole Christmas tree. And somebody <laughs> steals it and, and pushes you know the North Pole into, into crisis. Yeah. So it's like firmly set within the religious Christmas. Wow. And like shows... Kurt Russell as like ancient St. Nicholas investment putting coins into shoes but also he's this bad boy who like teaches prisoners the true meaning of Christmas by getting put in a drunk holding cell and then playing Merry Christmas Baby on a magically manifesting rock guitar yeah that all all seems reasonable yeah so this led to you you acquiring a ankle length buying yes I bought his coat from the movie not the exact one but I bought a cosplay version of his coat from the movie because I love it so much it's 
and it is red leather and it's got reindeer fur on the trim. It's uh, I'm obsessed with it. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I mean, how can you wear it inside the wick? It genuinely looks like you are going to suffocate I'm, and I, die. I'm going to have to take it off in like eight minutes because I'm I'm sweating actual Christmas baubles yes, right now. Yes, yes, yes. Um, maybe maybe the coat is giving you COVID. <laughs> That's that's oh what gosh. I've learned is that when people when people get fevers now they have they just they just be boom you get you get COVID one to one one to one, one, to one co- yeah, yeah one one to, to one you have to watch this movie because it's insanely cheesy that's com- and campy in all the Christmas kitschy ways that we've been talking about in the last two episodes of our Christmas series and yet it is like extremely reverent and sincere and it's kind of everything that I propose Christmas is that's so incredible I do like result. I do passionately want them to make like uh episode three which is just like all in myra <laughs> it's just that'd be amazing just like guys you know whatever they could have him be like maybe do it the other way around have him be like contemporary contemporary hip santa only like bro is bishop and myra or i mean that's basically what it was in the scene or do a sweet like um what is it 1083 redux where like check it uh you <laughs> You got a bunch of dudes from Bari in Sicily who like break into Turkish occupied Myra, steal St. Nicholas's body, drag it back to Bari, and then like build a giant church to celebrate. Like, we done did it. And then like squeeze it for baby oil if they sell them all Santas every year. Um, I feel like we could go any direction from that, you know? Like, um, I mean, that is something that actually happens. The, the, okay. The- crypt the crypt the supposed crypt of saint nicholas i don't believe it's the crypt of saint nicholas for any children listening i believe saint nicholas is still alive and, and living in the north pole also children if you are listening you have really bad parents yeah you should you turn have really off. bad parents they are leaving you ne- right. neglect they're neglecting uh the podcast right. that you're listening to because i mean i realize kids are way into podcasts you know how else are they gonna know like what's up with yeah you know kids are really into podcasts BBC on things, the arts. you know yeah exactly yeah. Like, everyone does that yeah they're I mean, into psychology they're into monastic priesthood yeah. and they're listening to this and they're listening to our swears and our hot takes oh my gosh the swears. And honestly kids i admi- i admire the nicheness of your interests but but you have bad parents. Anyway, um, yeah, Santa lives in the North Pole. But if you believe that this is the tomb of St. Nicholas in Bari, Italy, as you say, the remains kidnapped from Turkey and brought back to Italy in this sort of weird colonist approach to relics, see our relics episode, then yes, they do have semi-annual retreats where, where mall Santas can go and actually be blessed with with an oil that apparently miraculously secretes from the tomb. Oh my gosh, I, this is so amazing. This is so incredible. Be, this is so incredible. Be, I love this. You can be trained as a, as a mall Santa in the tradition of actual St. Nicholas on a one-week Catholic retreat where you oh learn about St. Nicholas and you learn how to like... Because there's a lot that goes into being like a good mall Santa and answering kids' questions when they ask you like really hard things like, can you cure my cancer for Christmas and stuff like this. And so like there are lots of small ministries and psychological groups that like help Santas to answer those questions. There's like a Santa school in Michigan, I think like that. But this this one is this is an explicitly Catholic. This one. is so legit. Did you know that the Dominicans run that church? 
we were given oh, yeah really? we were given custody of it in like 1950 i mean it was built in 1087 so like let's be cool we have not uh that's that is that is uh like 150 years before the dominicans even existed but uh sure. so it's so it's owed and it's, it's really great um but yeah we right. were you guys you guys came in and ran it but weren't the ones responsible for the colonizing of the rocks. uh yes we uh we we probably would have done it if we had if we had thought of it, but somebody else did it first. Okay, is <laughs> but, the point. But you have plausible. So we plausible deniability because we didn't exist yet, you know. So, uh, so yeah, but we run it now, which means that like maybe Dominicans are actually involved in this like uh, super blessing mall Santa thing, which is just absolute. This is I love everything about this. This is so incredible. I met one of the guys who leads the retreat once. Um, my parents got to speak as one of the like big presenters. At the World Meeting of Families when Pope Francis did his pity visit to Philadelphia because it's the worst city in America. And um, my, my parents spoke there and one of the people who was had like a booth on the trade show floor of this big expo was I believe a Byzantine priest who like does a whole St. Nicholas ministry where he actually like plays St. Nicholas and traveling performances and video calls and stuff like that. Seems legit. He just did like a weird Santa retreat with Scott Hahn somewhere in California. <laughs> yeah. I, that all, yeah, I'm open to all of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is like the, the world is very weird and the Catholic world is, is much, much weirder. weirder. And you in just the last like, five minutes, I think proves. Yeah. That. You're just like, you just have to accept it. You know, I, um, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Speaking of bad Netflix movies for Christmas, I uh, I found yeah. out I found out a few weeks ago that uh, a high school classmate of mine is like in uh, in one of these Netflix specials. Oh, which one? Yeah, um, love. Oh my gosh, love hard. Love. Yeah, is are you sure that's a Netflix special, not a porn it, I know special? it's yes, mm -hmm, yes. I know it sounds like that. It's uh, it was it was one of these like whatever sort of like mid mid ticket move movies released around like or maybe on Thanksgiving or something like that. Um, it is intentionally supposed to be a combination of love actually and Die Hard. Uh, by the title. Oh, that's incredible. By the title, and then the and the plot is just you're totally predictable. Um, like uh, oh my gosh, like. I want to love the hunky dude, but actually maybe I'm going to love the kind of like nerdy dude who's got like a soul and all this kind of, isn't that great? Anyway, like one of my high school classmates, who's an actress, um, uh, is in it. And it's like, okay, there it is. So, Dude, we should have her on the podcast and we can talk about my theory that all sort of Hallmarkish Christmas movies are actually Marxist propaganda. That would be really great. I'm not going to say anything more, like, any more I'm about it. Serious. I'm not going to say any more about it having this because... Because I don't want to say I don't want to say anything that poisoned the well when her when her PR people listen to this, but that would be really great. <laughs> yeah, no, I would actually love to do that. That would be really fun. I, I I want to eventually pivot this podcast into a place where we're interviewing artists on a semi regular basis. I still want to do most of the episodes just you and I, but like every third episode, I want to be interviewing an artist, but but not an artist most people would ever be interested in hearing from. Like, I don't want to do like, oh, like this amazing Christian singer or something like that. Like those people, like screw those people. I want to do like this guy makes mosaics out of bottles that he found. And this girl is in Hallmark Christmas movies. And this dude leads retreats for mall Santas. And like, that's the oh, kind man. of shit I want to be, be doing on this program. Yeah, that would be beautiful. That would be so beautiful. Oh, man. 
But speaking of the weird stuff that we want to be covering, I mean, I'm kind of proud of us. As I ex- uh, mentioned in our first Christmas episode of the season, we kind of crapped the bed on the Halloween series we wanted to do because I encountered some personal uh, life struggles with the move. Dun, 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 personal life struggles. But we actually have done it. This is the third episode in our Christmas series and the final episode in our Christmas series. And we're devoting this episode to the subject of nativity scenes. Um, Crushes, as they're sometimes called. Uh, Precipios, as they're sometimes called. Um, we're, We're talking about the history of the nativity scene and all those sorts of things there. There's a lot of, I think people just imagine the nativity scene as sort of this cute static thing that's always been the way it is, but there are a lot of weird offshoots of nativity scenes. Oh yeah. There are a lot of oh, yeah. versions of nativity scenes. There's kind of a weird history behind nativity scenes. And I feel like it's a really good topic for this podcast because we're all about faith, but we're also all about the arts and we're also about goofy, weird, silly stuff that might have deeper meaning. And, and all of that is in these, these nativity scenes. So I'm curious, I have, I have some thoughts on kind of, I guess we both did our own independent research on different things here that we wanted to talk about today, but it, to, to sort of get this off the ground, let's, let's start this off as we often start off these podcasts, um, talking about our own personal experience of things. So I'm going to ask you this question. I'm going to give you a minute to think about mm. it. Do you remember your first nativity scene? And what do you remember most about it for good or ill? Hmm. Well, my parents would, my mom, my mom would always put up uh, for Christmas, like a big part of the Christmas decorations that would go up on like the day after Thanksgiving every year. It would be like, um, she had what she called like her village. Um, so you, you know, yes. you know, those things the like little porcelain yes. or whatever they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, so she'd like do it all up and, and, and have all these things and it was all sweet. Um, and, uh, she had like a little mirror that she'd put as like an ice rink, you know, and it was all, it was all like very, um, sort of homegrown and fabulous and it was great. Uh, and, and like, so there was that. And then with that was, on uh, I got a little uh kind of plasticky doll well not doll but like a little plastic figurine um nativity set i don't Mm. they they were not yeah they were not together because the village people that's right i said the village people uh were 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 significantly (laughs) smaller and they were made of like porcelain or other objects you know anyway so those classic those classic nativity figures the shepherd the wise man the the, construction worker Right, the Indian yeah. like, police officer. Exactly. Yes. Um, God, I want this to be a thing so much. <laughs> you know what? The village people got too much play already. I want. I want them to get. <laughs> I want them to 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 enter no more territory where they are not already. <laughs> no, we need to do a like a choral Christmas like uh, Gregorian chant cover of YMCA. Okay, now that I would accept, and yeah. that can accompany this this scene. Yeah. Okay, that would that Woman. I would accept. Yeah. That yes, yes, <laughs> that that yes. Hmm. Okay. Good. I accept that. Um, All right. Perfect. I could trans- podcast. We can we, exactly and done. We we could translate it into Latin. It'd be awesome. Um, I would love that. Juvenis. You know. Anyway, as you go. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. And so so there was this this like a little like home nativity scene that was of course always the same. I mean, I I I hope they still have it. <gasps> what if they got rid of it? <gasps> My life would be over. But uh, but it's it's sweet. You know, it's just this little thing. And mm-hmm. um, uh, the wise the wise men were 
the one with black skin had a pur- purple uh robe Always. that was fabulous yes obviously it has to be purple because he's black um just don't 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 think about that too hard uh and then the two white ones were blue and green and like so did you have two white ones or did you have cuz most modern nativity sets i've seen i say modern i mean like the 70s sort of fontanini movement one wise man is black and he's wearing purple one wise man is white and he's wearing green but then the blue wise man is always like asian he's like a Ch- he's chani um i don't think that was the case here i don't remember no no okay maybe which i think is an interesting thing they're like we have three wise men they're like exotic so we should we should give them the three races that exist yeah there are no other races no i mean well listen we don't there's only three Okay, so, right. you know. There's only three wise men. The Bible never actually says there's just three, but we are sure there's only three, and we're sure they were black, white, and Asian. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> and these were the colors they <laughs> After, wore. like, 1975, like, 100% we're sure that. Absolutely, everybody knows it. <laughs> no, this is, you know what, this is what's funny. I'm glad you bring that up, because, like, every single Christmas and, like, every single Easter, or, like, in the weeks leading up to it, um, one of these debacle cable channels from the 90s like the discovery channel or the history channel will have some kind of thing like did you know everything you know about christmas is wrong sort of specials and they'll be like jesus wasn't born in a in a in a stable he was born in a cave like all this like kind of dumb stuff would be like yeah you know whatever uh but it's like okay yeah i, I mean all right like whatever i mean it's, it's adding it's adding a bunch of drama uh to something that's not super dramatic but like um mm-hmm. yeah but but again like everyone kind of as you say in a very mediocre way takes for granted that like the magi wore like blue red blue green and uh purple, purple. and that they're mm-hmm. black possibly asian and possibly indiscriminately white uh and that they were kings which they certainly were not and, the and that they were and that they were kings and like and all this kind of stuff and it's like everyone just kind of takes that for granted that's fine and like these are not things that necessarily i mean the king part sure but like the rest of it these are not things that people would have per se said earlier um although there's one right. of my very favorite depictions of the of the adoration of the magi is um from this uh, 15th or 16th century, I forget, um, Flemish pa- pa- a painter named Roger van de Vaden, um, that uh, that does, in fact, it's like everything about it is amazing. Um, and it has the wise men um, facing, that, that they, they're looking at the star, and in the star is the baby Jesus, which is a, a certain tradition of of, uh, of thought and depiction of the, of the star, that the star itself was already like, because it's oh, that's because awesome. it's signaling Christ, like the star itself is already Christ, you know, and so it's bringing them to him. It's that is super absolutely cool. amazing. And one of them is black, and I think maybe the other two are just indiscriminate white people. Um, but uh, and I, now one of them is a discriminate white person, what, super racist. Fact, fact. That's right. That's right. One of them is indiscriminately white, and one of them is discriminately white. <laughs> and that way, it's a kind of diversity, I guess. <laughs> a diversity of white yeah people. exactly They're well listen if you're roger van der and you live in like i always forget like 1480s or something um uh the low countries um like you i mean it's a major trading place but like how many people have you seen from the world hard to say hard to say there you go like i said podcast over, yeah but something to talk about i i also have a favorite depiction of the wise men but i feel like it's a hotter 
um, thing that we need to kind of work up to okay. in this episode. Okay, wow. So Dang. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to save it wow. um, because we're going to get into like per the intro that I post, we're going to get into a lot of the weird offshoots and nativities. I will sort of preview, though, my experience in nativity saying my, my grandmother, grand, grandmother, grandmother, why did I say it like that? My grandmother made the nativity set I grew oh, up wow. with. Um, it, it's very, I mean, it's very shiny in seventies, Yes, but it, it's, uh, like, like literally 300 pounds. Cause it's like cast resin and then she painted it and fired it. Wow. And so like, I literally could not li- like collectively all the figures together are probably like 300 pounds. It's like a ridiculous, <sighs> ridiculous. And it was so big. And, um, I was just obsessed with the camel. Yeah, that's like seems, most children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the camel was obsessed real. with the camel. Oh man, like, yeah, me too. The donkey too, but the camel and gosh, I just I my my first foray as it is for many people in nativity was just being like, this animal thing is is badass. I really really. Like I just this. love that there's something happening here that involves camels and a lot of camels. Yeah, it's like a little zoo. And like yeah, it's like a little zoo that you play with, and like in the middle of it's a baby and baby, you know. But like yeah, fundamentally baby, camels. I kind of. Right, right. Camels at a birthday. I I want camels at my birthday. Yeah, I mean that's awesome. Yeah, I guess my parents never loved me that much, you know. But uh, there it is. Right. Yeah. Not as much as Mary and Joseph loved Jesus. I mm. guess they got him camels. That's it. Yeah, they did. They did. That they did. They're like that. They're like those L.A. parents who like have a pony at every birthday party, and you're like, why would you give? Why would you give your kid a pony for the birthday? Now I have to get my kid a pony for their birthday. Like Mary and Joseph were just these yuppie parents who are like, you know, we got a we got a camel for Jesus. He's on a roll. So we just thought he deserved just it. Just everybody needs a little camel and you know, these other people they just showed up, <laughs> but that's cool. <laughs> oh my gosh. So how how familiar familiar are you with nativity history because i'm i'm sort of familiar with the history of like the physical figures and and a lot of those kind of folk customs how like what's your what's your purview of knowledge here with with the history of this um early art history so like beginning art historical um depictions of the nativity and then like where we get to the crash with um uh franciscan cosplay stuff uh so like medieval medieval stuff uh those are the those are the things i know most about perfect well and that's like right right after franciscan cosplay stuff is where my my info picks up so why don't you why don't you tell me about this because i don't know much about the early stuff at all Um, i come in very much like post middle ages folk customs sure yeah 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 so um just so just real briefly talking about the really early stuff um we have um depictions of the nativity are pretty pretty early we have a couple of surviving ones from the late fourth century um that's not i mean that's not that's not crazy wingman wan diggity early um that's a unit of earliness um uh because like the earliest christian art we're gonna have is like end of you know end of the second century beginning of the third century basically but um sure uh but you will you get although i will say Oh, go ahead. No, you're fine. I'm sorry. So you, just that you have you. a you you so you there you get a couple of their sarcophagi um, that have like uh, clearly Jesus wrapped in very very funeral band like swaddling clothes. 
lying on yeah. lying on top of an altar that is also a sarcophagus that is also a crib kind of um and there'll be like um the the ox and the ass on either side um okay so you so you get that like that tableau um gets is like from from right away um you you will more often end up seeing like the adoration like the scene that we would call the adoration of the magi um so you'll so you'll get um moving forward for a while like you'll get a certain you'll get a, a number of like adoration of the magi type scenes um and in fact it does seem like for a while maybe 100 150 years or so the primary kind of visual way of communicating the force of the incarnation that like the word has become flesh and dwelt among us um is this kind of um adoration of the magi type scene um sometimes just very rarely it's this like christ the, the, what's interesting about the the very first ones um particularly one of them i forget the, i forget the second one but certainly the, the first one um is there's nobody else on the scene it's just it's just this christ child uh wrapped in funeral funeral uh swaddling bands with uh with the ox and the ass on either side of his um place of repose uh so the, and there's nobody else so you don't see mary joseph etc um and of course they come that's interesting yeah 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 because again it's it's highlighting um you see very much this is the this is the 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 man who's born to die right like he's the, sure. the connection right away with the um uh with the grave with the resurrection so with the cross with the resurrection with the um with the resurrect, you know, with the resuscitation of Lazarus, and then with the resurrection of Christ, um, and the day, the the three days spent in the tomb, like all of this is very, very, very dramatically present there. But then, because of the ox and the ass, um, which of course um, are are uh, here's my History Channel moment, not actually in the Gospels. Um, <gasps> oh my gosh, your faith is a lie. Um, you know, they're from. They're from prophetic texts in the Old Testament, um, and uh, sure. I, and so uh, the the ox and the ass there um, represent uh, both the Jewish people and then uh, all peoples of the world, uh, knowing knowing their master. It says, uh, and uh, kn knowing their master and and uh, and worshiping him. So they rep it represents both the Jewish people and then all the peoples of the world coming to coming to worship God, uh, and in the in the um old testament prophecies it's a kind of like apocalyptic thing you know like that this is this is like the um the fulfillment of all things you know is when like everybody would come um and know who their master mm -hmm. is and adore and worship him uh and so putting that in the nativity right away is this very clear sign like yep this is the one we're not waiting for anybody and else there's, and there's an earthiness to that too i mean you know we've talked a lot about the incarnation that is God becoming man, you know, Christ being this very oddly physical thing, odd within the space of sort of world religions, this oddly physical thing, you know, where there's, you know, he spits in people's eyes and cures people with mud in their ears and, you know, is just, and, and that earthiness I think is, is, is pretty poignant in even the earliest nativities and the ox and the ass are, are a big part of this. 
are you saying though, and because I didn't know the whole Jews and Gentiles thing with the ox and the ass, is one specifically relegated to each, or is it just generally representative? Like, are Jews the donkey, or like, what is that? I think it's I, artistically, to the best of my knowledge, right at this moment, uh, I think it's generic. Just like this is this this represents okay. all people, all people coming to Christ. You know. Okay. Um, okay. I was um, just curious. Yeah, to the best of my to the best of my, my knowledge right now, I could be wrong, um, I, I, but I've forgotten if it's more specific than that. Um, but uh, but yeah, and so th- so in a sense, you could say like, well, maybe that's all the people you need is because then you have all the people of the world come to adore Christ. But then, like naturally, you also want to have like the first and primary worshiper, you know, uh, Mary, and then like the other first and, and just after the primary worshiper, Joseph and like all of this, you know, and then you get kind of all the rest, you know? Um, yeah. Which all, which all has its own whole fascinating history of how, about how the rest of it develops. But, um, but that is how it starts. And it is just saying, this is a really, 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 really important, um, uh, uh, image for, um, uh, it's a kind of handy single image summary of all of our Christian hope, right? So like it's weird. Like m- remember, like this isn't this is just put on like the first one that we have from it's like the late fourth century, three eighty something like that. Um, it's on a sarcophagus, you know. So like it's yeah, it's, it's not because like bro died during Christmas time and like OMG. It's um, although by that time, um, in Rome, I um. Christmas would have been being celebrated on December 25th. Um, but, uh, uh, but it's, you know, highly unlikely it has anything to do with the time that this, this person died. Uh, it's because it's a one image summary of everything that Christians believe. That's really powerful. Yeah. I, I know I'm going to distract from the powerfulness of this by saying this, but this is just an interesting factoid that relates. This is what I was going to say when I, I so rudely interrupted you a minute ago, but you, you mentioned that this is in the, what you said, the 400s, uh, this is the image uh, it's showing up? Late 4th century, so like 380s or so. Okay, so late 380s, this nativity is showing up. By the late 400s, um, St. Nicholas as a pseudo-Santa figure, we have, we have anthropological and archaeological evidence that that was already happening. And I think that's super interesting because there's there's recorded evidence and and I don't have a citation for this that, that there was a convent, um, an orphan, uh, sorry, an orphanage run uh, by by a convent where they actually did give presents to kids on Saint Nicholas Day, in his name as early as like the early five hundreds. Oh well, yeah, late four hundreds, early five hundreds, and there's and there's a miracle of a sailor who fell off a boat and was drowning and claimed to have been rescued by a flying Saint Nicholas. Oh, around well, that well, time that as well. stuff is is really common. I mean, Saint Nicholas is like again, we just think like, oh, like did you know Santa Claus is Saint Nicholas, etc., or vice versa? But like Saint Nicholas is the biggest of big deals. I mean, he is the biggest of big deals. Everyone, particularly in the in the Greek speaking church, um, forever. Uh, he is just a really, really, really big deal. Um, he starts to be a bigger deal. I mean, he's he's always a big deal in the West as well, but not as big of a deal. He becomes a bigger deal uh, in the West after um, uh, after some publicly minded well good good doers from bari 
<laughs> go to a place where he is his bones are being held in bondage and they definitely not pirates and they liberate him and they bring him to where he can be appropriately reverenced and that just happens to be in like a whole different country uh and then they just happen to build like one of western europe's most important pil- pilgrimage destinations uh over his bones and again i'm sorry to distract from the nativity thing i just find this interesting that that because we, we do, and this has been an, uh, an ongoing point of discussion in all three of the episodes on Christmas, which are independent of each other. And you don't, if you're listening now, have to listen to any of those. Um, they probably suck. But the, the, I just think it's interesting sort of anthropologically that like within a century of the nativity scene showing up, some kind of cultural celebration of Santa is also showing up. Hmm. And I think it's interesting how far back those traditions are sort of linked arm in arm. Sure. Yeah. So that was just my little silly songs with Larry interruption and in the broader narrative of this podcast. Sure. But I yeah. thought I'd throw it in. No, that's no. Could that's you elaborate? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, no, that's it. Go ahead. Okay. I was going to say, could you elaborate for us though, back to the main subject line when you say, I mean, I think I know what you mean when you say that this image is a perfect image of just everything Christians believe, but I imagine, and maybe this is dumb of me, but I imagine there are some people who would be surprised by that because like the, the de facto logo for Christianity is the cross. Like when you think of Christianity as a thing, you don't think of the nativity scene. You think of that as a Christmas thing. You think of the crosses. Why, why would you say like elaborate on why you think that's a perfect sort of, um, microcosm of everything that Christianity is. Right. So, well, first let me point out that um, that we find these images before we find images of the cross. So, um, prescinding from a couple of uh, sort of like outlier examples, um, the the earliest um, extant cross, like crucifix that we have, you know, image of Christ stretched out as if on a cross. Um, the earliest one is from it's, it's this masculine ivory casket, which is from like 431 to 433 ish. Um, and then the second earliest one is on the doors of Santa Sabina, uh, also run by the Dominicans, P.S. Um, <laughs> I, although that's kind of OG, that's been for a long time. Um, and uh, and that's from like 434 ish. Um, so those are the, those are the earliest depicted, the earliest crucifixes that we have or crosses, you know, Christ on the cross. Um, and then like kind of the next big one, if I'm remembering correctly, is in like, um, 586, which is in a manuscript, um, actually one of the most stunning crucifixion scenes you'll ever seen. Uh, it's, it's from Edessa in Syria, a monastery of, um, St. John of Zagba in Edessa in Syria. Um, and it was just this absolutely insanely, amazingly beautiful, uh, crucifixion. Um, but anyway, um, so just to say that like uh, one of the great puzzles of Christian art history, and we should probably have a whole episode to talk about this because it's so cool, uh, is like why does the cross develop so slowly as a kind of iconography? Because um, mm. like yeah, like now you think like well that's just that's just the thing you know, but uh, but it's but it it's a, it's build slowly um, and be- save that shiznit for our Good Friday episode. Yeah, that's right. Uh yeah, girl. Um, we um, this is the Christmas episode. Yeah, focus. So <laughs> the um. So for, you know, more than a generation, two generations about, um, 
you, we, extant, like stuff that we have extant. Um, who knows what the stuff on the ground was, but um, uh, it, one of the go-to major go-to images for expressing everything would be the the nativity. Um, and then this. So, like, why is this? Um, why is this so complete? Well, remember that there are aspects to this nativity that are a little bit. You can find them in um, Renaissance and um, some post-Renaissance, but especially Renaissance and and, and some earlier uh, nativity scenes, but it's not going to be perhaps as likely. So, for instance, like <clears throat> that Christ is in swaddling clothes, okay? So, like some depictions of the nativity, Christ will be in swaddling clothes. Um, most of them, especially from like Renaissance on, because they want to show off like how naturalistically they can paint and like, oh my gosh, look at this baby. He's got like all the chubby, chubby baby stuff, you know? So they're going to show like, <laughs> they're going to show like chubby baby arms all waving and it's going to be adorable. And like, you know, so little boo Jesus. Exactly. Like, ah, um, so like that's, that's very common, commonly going to be the case. Um, or <coughs> think you're kind of like, um, standard kind of <clears throat> suburban like baby baby jesus who's like just kind of knuck, tuck, tucked up with a little like like blankie around his under his chin you know kind of like um right but where, this is a hardcore like n like half mummified this is these are really skinny. they're really supposed to look like burial cloths they really are supposed yeah. to look like burial cloths um so it's a 100 percent visual correlation between um christ um Christ's birth and Christ's burial. Um, that is a 100% visual correlation. Um, sometimes even the baby is like kind of confusingly between being a baby and being a, like an adult, um, which is something you see. Um, <clears throat> sometimes you see it in various ways. Again, not because they didn't know how to paint babies or carve babies or whatever, um, but because they're making a theological point, you know, that he's, uh, whatever they're making a number of theological points so there's that <clears throat> um that the manger will is going to look probably a whole lot more <clears throat> the manger is going to look a whole lot more like a sarcophagus or an altar or both um highlighting the like, priestly aspect of this um the sacrificial aspect of this um again that he's born to die and that he's not just born to die because like we got to get him out of the way but because like his death is uh sacrificial and then is given to human beings on the altar uh and that like this is how we enter into all of it and then because you have the ox and the ass then you know that this is this is something not just for like every now and then or like for some people who are like super special but that is proposed for for all of humanity to come to worship uh and then oh sure yeah first first but then also first and also last all of that means that this is actually God, you know, this isn't just like some random interesting figure or like a great teacher like Buddha and like Mahatma Gandhi. <laughs> Jesus was and such like, a such good a teacher, great just like a teacher, good guy. just a great guy. I think he just really wanted us to be nice to each other. And like, I think probably love each other as long as I love each other. We mean kind of be nice and then like just do the things I want to do anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> No, right. This is so. This is so. All of that, you know, I think is is like a is all involved there. So I would say, like, well, what's a nice, handy one image summary of it? Like, that's it's pretty much it's going to be as good as you can get. You know, um, it's not the earliest. It's not the earliest Christian image to try to summarize kind of everything, but it's certainly like it. it it's what it's one that has long legs that go for goes for a long, long time. This is this is another one of those things that I'm going to kind of throw in as a monkey wrench that that might threatened to undermine the conversation, but I really like it. Um, I don't watch the show Family Guy very often because I don't think it's very funny. 
Um, I'm more of a South Park guy, but um, they did a Christmas episode a couple of years ago that was their take on the story of of the birth of Christ. Oh man, with oh, their characters recast as the different characters, and most of it is, um, if you know, offensive, but but lamely so, not in any kind of a, a clever way. But yeah, that's 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 my association they with Family did, Guy. They did accidentally though. And I, I, this was purely accidental, but they did very accidentally recreate, they sort of stumbled into recreating this artistic tradition of baby born to die because Stewie is the baby Jesus, of course, and he's sitting there and Brian, the dog who in this is now a sheep, offers him like, I think like a sandwich or something right after he's born. Um, and he's like, oh, no, I am um, kind of trying to watch my my figure for the um, for the thing. And, it, <laughs> and I just I, I just loved that, like, there, you know, the, the baby is watching his abs because he wants to look good for the crucifixion later on. But but there is there was sort of this this funny thing where I, I was watching it going, yeah, sort of offensive. But also, they don't know that they just kind of inadvertently represented one of the oldest artistic traditions in regards to the nativity. It is true. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's true. Even 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 Family Guy can can occasionally say something interesting. It turns out. <laughs> yeah. Every once a broken clock's right twice a day. Yeah, exactly. We're just gonna say actually Family Guy might only be might only be right once a day. I don't know how they manage it, but it's yeah. only once a day. In fact <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Once a year. <laughs> but um but no, I found that I found that point kind of cool. So so the ox and the ass are like there from the very beginning. And at what point does this become more of a concentration of like the holy family of like Mary and Joseph and Jesus and that's that part of it? Um I mean, I will say it seems like the nativity, the, the story of, of the history of the nativity is also the story of the history of the growth of the nativity. Like right. by the time my sort right. of purview for knowledge picks up, there are about a thousand characters in the nativity. And I yeah. think it's interesting that the first two characters are this cow and this donkey, and then other characters are being added on, you know, standard deviations like. Uh, you know, degrees of Kevin Bacon outwards throughout the centuries. So at what point in your understanding do different figures start to join and that that scene becomes elaborated into the the primary sort of microcosmic one that we know now with with the a couple of shepherds and the wise men and the Mary and the Joseph? Yeah, I don't I actually don't know when that specific when that specific tableau starts. Um, I mean, it's not it's not a straight line growth like. First, you've got the ox and the ass. Then you've got Mary. Then you've got Joseph. Then you've got like shepherds. Then you've got then you've got like magi or whatever. Um, <clears throat> it's um, uh, because right. So first, you have the ox and the ass, and I think the second one just has Mary um, and Jesus. Um, I don't think it has Joseph. Joseph again, like um, he's he becomes important in these scenes, but his role is often a little bit. Uh, it will often be a little bit surprising for a contemporary person who's used who is like i think mercifully uh, starting to become used to thinking of joseph as like an, an active an active uh role in salvation history and like a real human being and like all this kind of stuff but like anyway right. um 
Uh, so he's he's often going to be in the background if he's there at all. Um, and again, like, and then you're going to like pretty much right away get the Magi. Um, and then like conflation of the scene with the with the shepherds that 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 comes, you know. But like again, it's not it's not really as far as I understand it like a straight line growth, you know. Just like well, you see this, sure. and then you see these characters, and then you see these characters. Certainly, by the time you get to the High Renaissance, it's like O M G who invited everybody you know yeah. it's like call everyone call you've ever everybody. met we're having a birthday yes exactly it's absolutely amazing um but um is it is it just a significance like like is the significance the fact that these are the only art forms we have left over or is there a further kind of theological significance to the fact that the earliest representations because i noticed you mentioned this even in regards to the cross that the earliest representations of these things that we're seeing are on caskets well that's just because like funerary art is funerary art is basically where all of our most of our early earliest church art comes from uh just because that's what lasts or because of the significance of christian burial uh mostly it's just because of what we have i mean all this stuff was underground like the the basically the funerary stuff will have been underground because the catacombs were underground uh in rome you know for instance um so it's just preserved uh, so it's better preser- than the other stuff. It's just preserved better. I mean, sarcophagi, like those things are solid, you know. So like those things, I mean, that's like a big hunk of marble, you know. That's gonna that's gonna be held up pretty pretty okay. Um, uh, and then and then there's some accidental survivals. Um, like there's this really really important place. Um, uh, in Syria called Dora Europos, um, that has the 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 very first um the very earliest surviving house church, um. Uh, that uh, that's that was buried in this gigantic. Um, uh, the Romans had the town for about a hundred years, uh, and then they lost it when they were all killed, uh, and like the town was totally destroyed in two fifty six. Uh, and like that, it happens. That it happens, you know. But that house church was just like literally buried overnight, uh, and so oh, wow. it like was super well preserved and so it has like art in it and stuff like that and so like for non-funereal context we but but for non-funereal context stuff like really early on like third century early fourth century we have very little like basically all like everything that we see is going to be from a funeral context Um, and that's just that's just accidents of survival just accidents of survival so you're you're filling in a lot of gaps for me in my understanding of this so at what point then like, what's the next big stage in in the you know Darwinian evolution of the nativity scene in the, at that point? In a, in a big jump. Well, I do just want to point out really briefly that like, um, oh, yeah, uh, where this happens is wildly and amazingly var- variable, right? So like, uh, where where does this happen? Um, you definitely get representations in a cave. Um, right. So like this becomes in like Eastern iconographic tradition, um, even from pretty early on, I think maybe even like the seventh, eighth century, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, um, you get very clearly in a cave. Um, and, uh, so like, that's cool. Um, but then also you get these tradition, these get these visual representations, um, in a house, uh, in a stable, I mean, it's a house, I mean, like a stable really, um, I, or and then in some kind of a building sometimes, um, and then you get these really great ones uh, inside a ruined pagan temple, which is awesome. Oh. Those are really boss. Um, that's because of a specific, uh, a specific medieval legend that um, 
uh, it's a specific medieval legend about uh, a specific, uh, I think, a sibylline oracle, one of the oracles anyway, um, uh, that at the time they thought was like pre-Christian, but turned out to be actually post-Christian. But anyway, um, that where uh, it was said, so... Um, uh, so in Rome, there was this big, beautiful uh, temple built uh, to Minerva, um, and it was said that this uh, temple would, that there was a prophecy that this temple would stand until a virgin gave birth. And so everyone was like, oh, good. So it'll be here forever because it's so great. Uh, and then the night that Mary gave birth, the whole thing came, like, fell tumbling down. <laughs> you know, uh, and that's why, like, we have this church now that that the P.S. Dominicans run. It's a theme um, called Santa Maria Sopra Minerva, like Holy you Mary guys, on on Minerva, on top of Minerva. You guys, you guys might run too many things. <laughs> nah, Brad, it's cool. Don't worry about it. They're ours. They're ours. <laughs> Back off, buddy. Back off. You can't have them. We don't want to have okay. to come to your country and steal your bones and bring them back someplace. We might have to. It would be, be a real shame if. One one of your feet ended up in Florence, and then your head ended up in Siena. Wouldn't it be a real shame? <laughs> be a real, uh, be a real shame if uh, your eyes ended up in uh, in Poland. Wouldn't you hate to see it? And then the rest of you was still here. You know exactly. Um, <laughs> so like, so you get basically you get all these wild and crazy things because again, it's just like super important. They are never. These are never trying to depict historical circumstance. They are always trying to depict like um the the incarnation they're trying to depict the nativity you know they're not right. trying to say like did you know it was actually the kind of unseasonably warm that year and so like that's why they're not really wearing heavy coats and like no i mean like they're, they're trying to depict the nativity of the lord the word become flesh right they're know? trying to they're trying to depict the the spiritual truth the existential truth more than they're trying to create a documentary yeah exactly and so like so it's just like super great because you see all these really wildly variable things and you just have to be like yeah i all all those are true all those are true just deal with it the you're you're explaining the significance of it being in this temple over minerva but you also mentioned it's in these stables in these caves am i to infer that like that is because that's where the event is also set. Like Jesus is born in a cave, born in a stable. So therefore we're going to like put depictions of that in a cave and in the stable. Or yeah. is that just coincidental? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, cause like, cause it's not really clear in the, I mean, it, it's not, it's not clear in the biblical text, like where exactly, um, where it is. Right. Uh, but it's like, well, there's animals there and like, okay. So like this is where you have animals and, um, uh, laid laid in a manger, so laid in, you know, laid probably... in a manger, you know, so like, uh, okay, so it's got it has to be somewhere where we're going to keep animals. Like, well, where do you keep animals? Well, depending on where you live, you're going to keep your animals. If you if you're out with your flock or whatever, you're going to keep your animals in like a stable, or you're going to find a cave and you're going to put keep them in the cave. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. so it just depends where you live and like what's kind of intuitive for right. So this is an in, this is an artistic inference where we're saying, okay, where would a manger that is to say a feed box be? And we're sort of extrapolating that artistically from that. Yeah, and then and then like naturally, as you would expect, like um, really robust theological ideas come out of that, right? So like then there becomes this really incredibly beautiful theological formula formulation that like um, uh, oh gosh, I'm afraid I'm blanking on who who first says this, but um, that then you have this idea that Christ is born 
um, in a cave that had never seen the light. That's like the darkest cave uh, in the that has ever been, um, like like Mammoth Cave in Kentucky or something. That like is born <laughs> born in the darkest cave that had never seen the light in the in the depths of the earth, which again. Um, it's like hell, right? Like that's that's uh, sure. medieval imagination, and um, or you know, early pre medieval imagination, and um, uh, and that there the light of the world is born. You know, the light of the world shines forth. That's so awesome. that like, so again, which is stunning, right? That like, um, you know, people will say things like, oh, you know, when this terrible, terrible, some terrible tragedy happens around Christmas, and they'd be like, oh my gosh. You know, it just doesn't seem like Christmas this year because of like this, or maybe we shouldn't have celebrate Christmas this year because of this terrible tragedy or whatever. And realize like, no, no, that no, that's that's exactly wrong. Like Christ is born, the bright, the greatest light, the only, the only true light, the only true hope in the in the deepest darkness that could never have imaginably seen light. And that's where he's yeah, born. Yeah, this is kind of the whole point. This yeah. is kind of the whole point. And then on top of that, there's of course uh, an artistic. Um, Eucharistic thing being done, uh, you know, homage being done where, you know, we believe when we receive the Eucharist, we are actually consuming the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ. And here, this little baby Jesus is being laid in a feed box yeah. to be eaten. Yeah. And so that that very early becomes this like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. He's being put in a feed box and we're going to eat him later. That's amazing. It's amazing. So yeah, so you'll put, you'll have him like lying on wheat, on sheaves of wheat or have like stalks of wheat sticking out of the, out of the box, you know, um, even if the box mm. might look super duper sarcophagus like it will have or altar like it will have like wheat um sticking out or something like that so like totally absolutely like super duper eucharistic all all at the same time shredded wheat frosted shredded wheat, wheat frosted wheat um one of the uh one of the <laughs> one of the uh friars in his 90s who lives in my house um is uh 100% blind like 100% blind and uh so people have to help him with things as you might imagine uh and in the morning when he uh, wants to be given a bowl of uh, frosted mini wheats, TM. Uh, he asks for quote pillows. Oh, buddy, which is amazing. That's that's the cutest thing I've ever heard. Just, that's he's super. He's cute. the least cute friar you could possibly imagine in your entire oh, life for me. no no that's what makes it better like this is actually how dominicans work he is absolutely not a cute man uh but he calls <laughs> and he calls frosted mini wheats pillows which is just there it is you just gotta live with it that's that's the most amazing God thing bless him. yeah um yeah yeah so like you kind of get all that um do you want to talk about St. Francis? We should probably talk about St. Francis because he's We so... should probably get to St. Francis. Let's get to yeah. St. Francis. Otherwise, I'm going to get so distracted with this. Like, we won't ever get to him. Like, so, okay. So, here's the deal. Like, we think, like, why why is St. Francis involved in this at all? So, St. Francis moves this from the realm of, like, art history um, to, like, the material world. To, like, the, um, like, physical, touchable, tangible, like, um, he moves it into the metaverse. Uh, <laughs> look, he does it. Um, he moves it, he moves it into the physical real, real world. Um, and he does it like this. So, um, this is super early. We have a super early record of this. So, um, so, uh, Francis of Assisi dies in 1226. 
Um, he his first biographer writes his biography um, in like twelve twenty eight, confirmed in twelve twenty nine. So and give us give us the baseball stats of who Saint Francis is for those so people who don't. Saint know. Francis is the guy that your grandma has uh, holding a holding a bird feeder in in front of her house. Um, he's wearing brown, um, and he might be like weirdly wearing kind of like lipstick if the statues from the seventies, um, because <laughs> they're very sappy. Uh, but uh, so he's the founder of the of the order known as the Franciscans, the order. Friars Miners, a Friars, Friars Miner, um, who is this preaching friar, you know, preaching and friar whose great love is for poverty, right? And so he found mm-hmm. Francis, found Franciscan's order, Franciscan order, um, which is like the biggest thing since sliced bread, um, like from the second that it takes off, like second that it gets started, it's go crazy. Um, super, super intense mofo. Super I intense mean, dude. He is an intense bro. And um, like does not have a medium setting. Like he is hot or he is cold. Mm-hmm. And I mean that literally because he's like throwing himself into giant, himself into giant piles of snow sometimes just to make a point. And like lying yeah, there yeah, naked yeah, yeah. to piss people off and like taking off all his clothes and standing there naked in front of his dad and being like, screw you, dad. You don't own me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a very I mean, we've all we've guy. all done that latter one. But yeah, exactly. Right, right. Um, I mean, who doesn't remember the point at which they came of age by standing naked in front of their father saying, you don't own me. In the, in the town square. Um, and, have, right, and, having the the, and having the bishop be the guy who uh, um, who drapes his cloak around you um, and like nobody sues anybody. You know, nobody sued, <laughs> nobody sued anybody after that happened. Uh, actually, hashtag not true, uh, because um, his uh, dad sued Francis because of... Uh, oh my gosh, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, well, or the bishop, kind of. Anyway, because cause Francis had sold a bunch of cloth that didn't technically belong to him. It did technically belong to his dad, and... Um, his dad wanted the money for it. I don't. I don't remember how that resolved, but uh, but yeah. But anyway, um, so yeah. So that's who he is. He has this really, 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 really intense love for the incarnate Christ and particularly for the baby Jesus. Um, uh, really intense. Um, and um, the uh, so people who know him. So like. Again, like this first biography is written two years after he died from people who know him, right? So this this first biography by this guy named Thomas of Solano. Um, this stuff, this is this stuff is really like as close to kind of like eyewitness reporting as you're ever going to get in the Middle Ages, basically. Um, so here's how he reports it. He says so. He says three years before he dies, which because 1226, probably 1223. Um, he says three years before he dies, um, he goes up to this little town that's like. I forget some some way north of uh, of Rome called Greccio, um, and uh, he gets this. He has this friend named John, um, whom he always spends Christmas with, and he's like, uh, John, like here, I've got this. I've got this idea. Here's what I want you to do. It's gonna be amazing. You're gonna love it. Um, and uh, I and he says, this is this is a quote from the from what Francis tells the guy. He says. Um, I wish to enact the memory of that babe who was born in Bethlehem to see as much as possible with my own bodily eyes the discomfort of his infant needs, how he lay in a manger and how with an ox and an ass standing by he rested on hay. So this guy does it. They like get animals, hay, like the whole situation and like, they're and they're doing this um and apparently it's outside it's a little bit i mean you know uh you look at like the way that the text is described uh 
The forest amplifies the cries and the boulders echo back the joyful crowd. The brothers sing, giving God due praise, and the whole night abounds with jubilation. The holy man of God stands before the manger, filled with heartfelt sighs. Okay. Um, they celebrate mass, like wherever this is held. Like it kind of seems like it's outside. Um, over the manger, it says, the solemnities of the mass are celebrated, and the priest enjoys a new consolation. So there's something. So what they do is they hold a, you could just, just be up front. They hold a living nativity scene. Um, now we're not talking people here. There don't appear to be people involved, uh, but there are animals. Um, there is hay. It seems to be outside. Everyone is jamming out there. They're having mass in the middle of this. Um, it's so awesome. It is so intense. Like this is not, like, there's nothing domesticated about this. Um, and this is, I, I, I have a, a second more to say about the one, one or two more things to say about this, but in short, this is where the crash comes from. This is where mm -hmm. the crash comes from. Like, this is where it becomes a three-dimensional living object that is going to be, like, not just a carving on a, on a, on a, uh, on something, a frieze or whatever. Uh, it's not just a painting. Uh, it's not just a, an illuminated manuscript. Um, but it's, like, this whole physical thing where, like, realism, physical material realism is a big concern. You know, you have hay, you have oxen, you have donkeys you have like sheep you have a manger of everything you know and like well, in, this I mean, is where you're this is this is wherever you're saying mass you have all of this well and and i you know we have talked before about how my particular love and also my professional aspiration is is artistically anyway is within um the the sort of subgenre of what's called themed entertainment which is um immersive design that you would associate with like a Disney park or you'd associate maybe with a children's museum or a family entertainment center or like the um, Santa baby pop-up bar or like the Santa baby pop-up bar where there is a, you know, it's an, it's a lived experience. Right. There is, there is an ex, a themed experience with immersive elements. And this is kind of a very early proto, you know, uh, version of that in a, in a Christian context where, like you are experiencing both the pantomime of the thing in the form of here are these animals, here's this manger, and also the reality of the thing, because we as Catholics believe that the Eucharist is Christ, and so the incarnation is happening there. So you're having the Eucharist there, and then you're having like live animals, and you as a person are sort of walking through this in this early proto like theme park immersive experience, which I think is... As an artist and as a Catholic, I think that's that's freaking awesome. It's pretty boss. There's a, there if you want to talk about it again sometime. There is a lot to be said about that with um, uh, pilgrimage art, things related to pilgrimages, and where you do like um, simulacra of uh, pilgrimages um, in other places. You know, so this ends up becoming a really, really, really big deal. It, 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 earlier, earlier than we're talking right now, because right, because Saint Francis is right at the beginning of the 13th century which is like pretty late actually. Um, so that, mm -hmm. that stuff, that kind of that thing that you're talking about, that starts actually much earlier. Uh, but it is wild sure. to, to hear this, um, like with the nativity and again, like at mass, you know, like it's like, Oh my gosh, you know, like, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm of the age where like, I remember like before I was Catholic, even with like the Catholic school I go to, I, I went to, you know, when I was a little kid, um, all these like really embarrassing, um, uh, you know, little kid kind of Christmas masses where, you know, it's like, 
Jesus is basically not on the scene. You know, like you say, you say the prayers of the mass, like kind of embarrassed because really the whole point is like, oh, look, these little kids and they're this and like, oh my gosh, you know. Uh, sure. Um, and so like, so I think like, yeah, normally I, I normally, I would think, oh my gosh, you know, like doing this kind of play acting in the presence of mass, like, oh my gosh, I roll my eyes, you know. But this is this is a real deal. Now, yeah, this is a real deal. No, it's not play acting. I mean, this is, he wants to see it with his own eyes. Right. He wants it yeah, to be so real. He wants so to get as real. close to the thing as, as the real thing as it possibly can be. Yeah. There's, like an, there's a real emphasis on not cuteness or twee, but on, on artistic authenticity. Yeah, super immense. Um, and I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned this word, simulacrum um which of course is versus simulation could you could you just because i want to make a point about that could could you define those two terms really quickly um so a simulacrum is is just a um it's a it's an ersatz version of a of something else you know so it's a it's a you just have a, a likeness uh an imitated likeness in some other in some other mode right so um uh whether it's a um, a representation of a person or this because well, simulation is a representation, but simulacrum isn't that a, a representation of something that might not actually like a simulation is a recreation of something that exists, and a simulacrum is something is a recreation of something that might not exist, but it's like a deeper reality, right? Mm. I've never heard that distinction. Um, I mean, if we, I don't the words don't inherently mean that, but uh, but like I would accept that as a as a as a helpful working technical distinction, sure. That's how I was introduced to it in my artistic education when we were studying kind of themed entertainment and and that sort of thing. Okay. Like, like if I if I simulate, um, like if I go to Epcot, you know, the Disney Park Epcot, and I go to like the Pavilion of Italy, that's a simulation of a real place in Italy. Like it's supposed to look like Venice, and it's it's doctored to sort of represent that as accurately as possible. So that's a simulation. A simulacrum is if I go to. And again, I'm using the Disney analogies because I'm fresh off of it. I just did the Disney Christmas stuff last weekend. But if you go to like the Magic Kingdom, that's a representation of like this fairy tale reality that didn't exist, but represents like <gasps> a deeper truth. And so that would be like a, a simulacrum. Oh, right? interesting. But, yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, no, that's, right. that's so a anyway, helpful distinction. Yeah. The reason I bring this up or, or touch on this deeper, though, is because um, one of the people one of the art historians who talks the most about simulation and simulacrum is my favorite Walt Disney Imagineer. Those are the guys who design the parks, Joe Rohde. And I texted you this the other day because Joe Rohde um, raised Catholic. I think he still is. I, I, I've heard from, um, I'm friends with a priest who's friends with a makeup artist in Hollywood who is friends with Joe Rohde and like goes camping with him on the regular. Oh yeah. And that's, she says that's... he's still a pretty, that's a, that sounds she like a Hollywood connection. Pretty yeah. devout Catholic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. She said he's pretty, uh, pretty devout Catholic still. But anyway, he talks a lot about art history, Catholic art history specifically, how pilgrimage sites and living nativities and all those sorts of things end up fueling theme park design. Which then, you know, he is a theme park designer. He he basically personally designed Walt Disney's Animal Kingdom. Um, but he recently posted or reposted, I guess, a parody of. Um, Noel, the song Noel, that is actually a history of an artistic history of the nativity scene. So um, legit. And maybe we'll maybe we'll read it out. As, well, I'll tell you what. I'll read the I'll read just the first paragraph here. Um, 
Let me try to find it. Because he talks about this sarcophagus thing that's right at the beginning. And I actually think it'd be interesting. He like sort of chapter by chapter goes through this thing. And I think this would be an interesting way to sort of close each chapter of, of our exploration of this stuff. Here, I'm pulling it up. I already had it pulled up, but then Instagram deleted it. Um, uh, the first Noel appears to be on a sarcophagus from the 4th century. Shortly after we can see iconographies fixed for the next 15 centuries. Just how they're mixed. Noel, 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 Noel. It's a motif that has held up quite well. The ox and the ass, which a lamb can replace, are symbolic of mankind's receptions of grace. When the stable is shown in a ruined stone hall, it's a symbol of triumph for Romans and all. Noel, 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 Noel. So read the images we know so well. So I. That's awesome. I that's so legit. I, I did not actually read read that far into it. So like I. That's hilarious. That that's yeah. I oh, mean that's a, that's through, a good that's a good history of it. Yeah. He goes through everything we're gonna go through, and 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 um, I I like that we're connecting. I mean, I know I'm I'm reading the parts of his, or singing the parts of his song that pertain to the stuff we've already covered with the sarcophagus and the ox and the ass and everything. But I think by getting into like the lived experiential, immersive version of the nativity that St. Francis starts to or designs and then starts to propagate, like we are coming into an art form right that that people are familiar with and so right i think it's 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 cool just for me personally and maybe for the listener to connect that to an actual disney imagineer who's doing the modern version of that and seeing the connections of how that particular art form has grown and traces its ancestral ancestral roots back to this event right right cool. oh no for sure i think that's great and um, I want I want to pass it to you with um, sort of post medieval stuff here in just a second. But I just want to say, but just before, like one last word about St. Francis and the and the Greccio crash. Um, of course, like like where does crash comes from? It comes from Greccio. Right? This it, it, you you turn it into French uh, and it and it becomes crash basically. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, um, the kitsch. Like the the kitsch, the and maybe even the sense of like excess or um or whatever is also not absent in the scene, and I think that's something that's important. Um, less uh, lest again, like um, our notion of Christmas become too sanitized, or our notion of Saint Francis become too sanitized. Um, say both are always more than you can handle, and both should always be more than you can handle. Uh, so we talked, you know, we, 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 we talk a lot about how Christmas should be more than you can handle, but, um, what, here's this incredible example about St. Francis. <coughs> this is literally the passage where we learned that St. Francis was a deacon. There is no, there is no earlier indication anywhere in history that he was a deacon, except in this passage, we're told, um, that he was, uh, that he was a deacon and he was singing the gospel, um, for this mass, for this Christmas mass, Christmas midnight mass, um, which is all fascinating. And, uh, and he preaches, um, and he's just so into it. Like, you got to realize like he, Francis is always, he's always more extra than you are. And he's like always more of everything than you are. And so like, <clears throat> he sometimes would like literally carry around a lamb, just literally carry around a lamb because lambs reminded him of Jesus. 
and he just yeah he just couldn't get enough he just could not get enough you know um so here's what he says this is, this is what thomas Solano says about francis and this scene with him like singing the gospel and then preaching um at this first midnight mass with the first crash at greccio he says um burning with excessive love he often calls christ quote the babe from bethlehem whenever he means to call him jesus and this i love i can't even handle it i love it so much saying the word <clears throat> Bethlehem in the manner of a bleeding sheep. He fills his what? whole mouth with sound, but even more with sweet affection. St. Francis is preaching this, I'm sure, like one of the world's great sermons on uh, on the nativity at midnight mass surrounded by like animals and hay and stuff. And he is literally, every time he says where Jesus was born, he's going, Bethlehem. <laughs> I love that. That's so great because like, I will tell a story later on in this podcast, but I, I, for many years had to narrate the children's nativity pageant at my parish and in in Steubenville, Ohio, you know, where, you know, sort of prudishness and, and you know, old church ladies are, are like originally designed, like that's the factory. And um, I was always pushing like, we should have live animals at this thing and we should like do this and we should do that. And everyone was always like, that would be tacky, that would be sacrilegious. And I just imagined those people walking into a church where like a priest surrounded by livestock was saying a mass and and preaching while doing an impression of a sheep and and just how offended those people would be and then being able to turn around and be like that's saint francis the inventor of the nativity actually so so about that though could you imagine he's preaching and he keeps saying the babe from Bethlehem. this dude is dude mofo was crazy he's always more than in, in the one, coolest way one last point um yeah he says he seems to lick his lips whenever he uses the expressions Jesus or babe from Bethlehem, tasting the word on his happy palate and savoring the sweetness of the word. So like he literally finds like physical sweetness in saying the word Jesus or babe from Bethlehem to the extent that he like licks his lips to get all that sweetness. Just do you just deal with this? Just deal with how weird this is. You know that thing where like when someone yawns and then you feel like you have to yawn because they yawned? I'm doing that right now. Like you said, lick your lips. And I'm like, my God, mm, my lips are actually gosh. really chapped. I'm yeah. Like, mm, mm, Bethlehem. But I do think, you know, I'm making this joke about like old church ladies clutching their pearls when they when they see an original nativity as as depicted by St. Francis. But I think there's something poignant here that, that connects to the nativity itself, which is, I mean, I have this theory that, that and this is not my own. I mean, this is, this is. Chesterton, this is uh, Lewis for sure, um, but there, there's sort of this sense that like the modern Christian would probably be horrified and scandalized by the intensity and the demeanor of most saints, and that's even truer of the actual nativity. Like the actual nativity is intentionally jarring and gross because it's this idea of. Well, I'll, I'll 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 open this this way. So I was I, I'm I'm seeing my my clients that I see in my psychotherapeutic practice um, for the last time this week before we're off for Christmas. Because even if I wanted to work up till Christmas, none of those people want to have an appointment a day before Christmas. So we we were wrapping up for like a two week break, um, 
this week. And I, I often try to give, because it's a, it's a Catholic spiritual practice. I often try to give, um, when applicable, when sincerely and naturally and organically applicable, some kind of spiritual takeaway that, that gels with the, so the psychological takeaway for them to meditate upon. And one of the things that I was sort of struck by in the moment was very Holy Spirit thing. But I was talking to a few different couples who fight a lot, you know, have, have a lot of domestic disputes, not physical or anything, but just arguments, um, because they're really scared of like empathy and vulnerability, um, which is, you know, something common that I'm sure you see in confessions with couples. And, and I see all the time as a, as a therapist. And I was saying to them, like, look, you know, you're, you're all stressed out because you're preparing for Christmas and you're sort of killing each other over it. I said, but the true meaning of Christmas is the most powerful being putting aside those things that make him powerful to become the most vulnerable and fragile you can imagine someone being in the grossest possible scenario explicitly for the sake of relationship with you. Yeah. And I, I really need you guys over the course of the next two weeks, when we're not speaking to each other to let that be a point of meditation within yourselves and between you and your marriage, because the true meaning of Christmas isn't the gifts obviously, but it also isn't just like, Oh, keep Christ and Christmas. Let's go to church together. The true meaning of Christmas is being able to consciously say, this is scary for me to do, but I'm going to make myself really vulnerable to you. And, and it, to a degree that's actually like, that feels gross and like gives me some spiritual acid reflux almost where I'm like, Ooh, I don't want to do this. You know, a baby in a stable surrounded by, I'll just say it like animal shit while a violent act is, you know, at least biblically going on outside with the murder of the innocents and stuff is one of the crassest things when we're desensitized to it because of Christmas cards. But one of the crassest things that when you actually acknowledge it, a person could possibly imagine. And then you add on to that, that that baby is the creator of the universe. And it's nothing short of blasphemous, except that it's also the most sacred thing in the world. And I think we have to keep that in mind on a psychological level, the way I'm saying with my clients, on a spiritual level, the way we're talking about on an artistic level, the way we're talking about on an anthropological level, on all the levels, as, as Jack Sparrow would say, you know, spiritually, physically, ecumenically. Um, we, we, we have to keep all of this in mind that, that this is a radical, gross, sacrilegious <laughs> kind of an event. Sacrilegious. Well, that's to what, degree... that's apparently what Francis thought it was because of the licking exactly. of the lips. Smacking you know? his lips. Exactly. Sacrilegious. And I think we have to remember that as I take the baton from you and look at some of these post-medieval and, and Renaissance depictions, because if St. Francis is obsessed with the physicality of the incarnation, if he's obsessed with the tactility and the, the sacred grossness, as I would say, of, of the birth of Christ, then the artists that follow him take that and like turn up the volume. Because what you see, you know, you mentioned this sort of already, but you know, where Jesus is originally in these burial cloths and then maybe in sort of the, the suburban baby blanket or a onesie or whatever it is pretty soon. Like Jesus is aggressively naked. Yeah. And my favorite depictions of the nativity are, there's this motif where the wise men, their, their central function in a lot of artistic depictions because the wise men, um, 
are sort of the stand-in for Gentiles and pagans, right? You know, like in the nativity scene, like these are Gentiles, these are pagans. The shepherds are sort of stand-ins for, for Jewish people. So it's the coming together of the two sides of the kingdom of God. And, and of course, the magi represent other things like wealth versus the shepherd's poverty and stuff. But within this lens, right, you know, there is sort of the, you know, here are the, the wise men representing paganism and earthliness and all this stuff. And this motif that I love so much is that repeatedly the wise men are pointing directly to Christ's penis. Oh yeah, sure, sure. In tons and tons of images because they're saying, look, like this, yes, it's God, but like do not think that this is just like God wearing a person costume or or a spirit or an apparition. Like this is a boy with boy parts and a human with human parts and and also it's god and so you know the shepherds and mary and these people are sort of you know praising the heavens and they're looking upwards that way or maybe even at jesus's face depending on the depiction but the wise men are like leaning in weirdly close like inappropriately close and just like check out this baby's penis how cool and sacred is that and oh i just think that's gosh, awesome right. yeah 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 i just yeah. think that's the coolest thing ever and you start to see that propagated everywhere um, a lot of those scenes. And then the other thing you see is, as I mentioned, you know, the cast of characters just keeps growing. Um, and, and that becomes really true because the crash, um, or as it's also sometimes called the precipio, um, is this thing where, you know, these, these figures start being represented physically as statuaries, as, you know, giant statues, as little tiny statues. Um, Sometimes they're still acted out physically. I mean, there is a tradition where in France, where at Christmas Eve midnight mass, like a local dude will bring up a lamb at the beginning of mass to be blessed. This this happens at this time precisely because of St. Francis's thing. So sometimes there are actually actors like playing the parts or animals, but like the statue part becomes more and more popular, particularly because of, and, and this is a privilege I had, you know, I mentioned the nativity I grew up with in my home, but the nativity I grew up with publicly was actually the origin, one of the original Precipios um, in Pittsburgh. They have at the art museum, the Carnegie Museum of Art, um, there was this family, this this family of porcelain makers in Naples, Italy in the late 1400s huh. who started designing like the early nativity scenes. And like the, the, the oldest one that's still intact is owned by the Pittsburgh Museum of Art. And it's huh. it's huge. And it's a tradition. They put it, they, they keep it under lock and key most of the year. And then every Christmas they set up like six Christmas trees in the gallery and set up the whole Precipio. And it's literally, Whoa. I mean, it's a... It's a D&D campaign. I mean, you it's literally they like they built how many this dragons giant like uh, like 100 dragons. No. Yes. They have yes. they have, you know, all these like miniature train set style caverns and hills and glens and, you know, hey nani nani's and then in the center almost hidden to make this like artistic point about how subtle and humble this is, almost hidden sort of the back is Mary and Jesus and Joseph with their cow and their and their donkey, That's but then awesome. they're like literally five hundred figures. Oh my gosh! Like come and this, all around. This is from the fourteen. This is from the fourteen hundreds. 
late 1400s, early 1500s. Okay. Oh my is gosh, when this happened. though. Yeah. But that's insane. Um, yeah. Yeah. Na- I, I forget when Naples is occupied by France. So this is when that's happening. Okay. So I think that's that's like early 1500s. But um, yeah. Fam, uh, you know, Naples. What, what's what's what do you call someone from Naples? Naples? Neapolitan. I don't know. Neapolitan. Thank like you. the ice cream. Like the ice cream. Yeah. So this family of, of Neapolitan ice cream, strawberry vanilla and chocolate, they they start building <gasps> like the three wise men activities. Like the three. It all comes full there it circle. Is. There it is. The all most. The most Christmas. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, what's the most Christmas themed ice cream? Neapolitan ice cream. Oh my god! I kind of want to like make a dessert that looks like crowns, but it's Neapolitan. Okay, I'm going to say that for later. Anyway, so they make like 500 figures. These oh precipios or these crushes, oh my gosh, precipios yeah. and Italian crushes in France, and and they, the figures are basically everybody in your village. Yeah, that's the point of it, and I think that's amazing. That like. Sometimes it's because the artist just did it. Sometimes it's because it's commissioned by the church. Sometimes it's because you pay for it. It depends on what it is. But like literally the butcher from your town is bringing a ham to the baby Jesus. Like the priest from your town is bringing the lamb to the baby Jesus. The town drunk from your town is sitting there drinking by the baby Jesus. And there's an incarnational point being made here that like Christ is coming into your world. Yeah, your world. And right. there's also an artistic right. point making being made here where like, I'm important. I'm a part of this narrative. This is not a past event. This is an active event that I am a part of now. And and you see some really weird stuff come out of this. I, I'm talking too much about Disney today, but there's actually um, in in Epcot, which is a celebration of like the world. And they have all these kind of pavilions of different countries. They do this thing every Christmas called the holiday storytellers where at each um each uh, pavilion, you can meet the Santa Claus from that place. Oh, sure. And he tells yeah. a story about a Christmas custom from there. And my favorite one is in the France pavilion, Père Noël comes out, you know, kind of Dumbledore Santa, basically, you know, crazy long beard and the red robes and everything, and actually tells the story of the history of the crash. And he nice. talks about St. Francis. Yeah. yeah. And he talks about, and he says, you know, the crash is uh, very French. Even though it was invented by an Italian, no, no, Francis. no, like, it's Francis. Uh, but does yeah. it? But when he talks about Bethlehem, does he say Bethlehem? He does not say Bethlehem, but he does. And, and then the whole sort of narrative is that this little girl Babette has written him a letter asking for a crush figure made to look like her. Oh, nice. And that's that's the sort of and so by the end he like pulls out of his magical sack in this little performance that he does, which is just like sort of buskery, like in the middle of the street. Like it's not on a stage or anything. It's just he comes out in the middle of the street, and if you happen to be there, you can gather around and hear him talk to you. Um, and he kind of pulls out this little figure of Babette, and he's like, "Look, here's a carved wooden figure of Babette." And and it's, and he talks about like the the priest being carved in this thing, and the and the baker being carved in this thing, and everything else. And so this precip, I'm going all over the place with this, but this precipio that I grew up with in Pittsburgh is one of the largest and oldest versions of this, with with literally like 500 figures of everybody you can imagine in your town. And and I would just I think about this often. Like if we still did this, which I wish we did, like, I wish I could walk into a church now and see little stable and then like my friends 
like all of us, like in our, in our best outfit, whatever, you know, in your khakis or in your suit or whatever it is carved as like a little Barbie doll going up to see Jesus with, with whatever thing you do. So like, if I'm an artist, I'm, I have my little art palette and I'm bringing this up to Jesus. And this is something like my wife and I have even talked about, like, as we, you know, have started our family together, like one of the ways that we, um, one of the meditations that I've sort of brought to us to think about is like, if I were to ever design our own recipio, like for our family, where like each of the family members were bringing stuff up, like what would we be bringing up? Oh, cool. Like what would the gift that we would be bringing up? Like what, what I would be staggering would under 200 us? pounds of crushing guilt. <laughs> <laughs> Baby Jesus, I have this for you. It's incredible guilt. Oh my god! <laughs> Just a little peek into Father Gabriel's psyche here, but or but, or possibly a recrimination of others. You know, that's right. that's a, yeah, one of those a giant things. sag a sack you have over your back. You know, right? Exactly. But I but I love that. I love I that. Do love I wish that. I do honestly love that. That's super legit. I wish we could go into a church, especially like with the, with the capacity we have to like photograph people i'm giving away an idea i've had for a long time but with a possibility uh, the ability we have to photograph people and 3d print them now like my wife and i are wedding cake toppers was like they photographed us from like 800 different angles in a tiny thing and then they did a little 3d print of us and i think like a precipio done that way where like people can donate a small amount of money to the parish and then get a 3d printed version of them and then everybody can like go i think is the coolest combination of modern and ancient that would be pretty um, legit That'd be pretty legit. My uh, the, so the the pastor at the at the parish where we met in Cincinnati, um, he uh he he started to get let the there was a real spirit of St. Francis going on here with the way that he started to let his um crash scene just go like totally insane like it had a moving this is inside the church he took over he would take over a side chapel every year um and just like could convert the whole side chapel into a into a crash uh situation and uh it had like a kind of like an actual water feature like a moving water feature uh oh, yeah, and, I like, that. and that all this stuff awesome. and it was so boss um and then one of my friends as a as a joke uh put in one of his uh boys uh toy dinosaur like a dinosaur Aww. in it um, cause he was trying to hide it from this boy, or maybe he just like get you. But I think it, or I forget. Maybe he actually just wanted like the boy to like whatever make a gift to Jesus. I forget which one it was. Um, anyway, so uh, and then and then of course eventually the pastor found this and thought it was just absolutely screamingly hilarious. So then started to add like a ton of other things, so like random dogs, just like and all <laughs> kinds of things that he could find. He got these um. He got these motion sensitive birds that every time he walked past them start singing and then intentionally set one of them up so that like it was it was pointing towards uh, where people went to receive the precious blood. So whenever anybody went to receive the precious blood in the Christmas season, you'd hear this bird going chirp, 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 chirp. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Most people didn't notice, but I noticed. Um, (laughs) Oh, boy, did I notice. I loved it so much. I loved it so much. Eventually, a bunch eventually a bunch of. um, uh, a bunch of a bunch of moralistic people started to fix the problem uh, and just started Ugh. stealing things out of it that they didn't think belonged. It was really offensive, which um, then leads us to something you mentioned in I forget which podcast, but where we're physically like zip tying Jesus into the manger, so zip none of the tying Jesus into the manger. Exactly. That's why. That's why. What is what is Father bringing to baby Jesus? Three hundred pounds of recrimination of all you people. <laughs> 
Well, the pearl clutcher stealing the dinosaur out of the out of the nativity are gonna be really horrified when I explain the the reason for the intro that I made. Oh my gosh! Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is that? Okay, so we have our crash in uh, in France. We have our Precipio in Italy. When this hits Spain, dude, they go freaking crazy. Like Spanish. Spain in general has this weird obsession with poop in regards to Christmas. Okay. Like if you're familiar with the Christmas turd from South Park, God, I mentioned Family Guy and and South Park in the same episode. I sound so sophomoric. But if you're familiar with the the Christmas turd yes. in South Park, of course. like you would you would be surprised to perhaps note that is not that far from genuinely Spanish Renaissance Christmas traditions where their equivalent of Santa, their holiday gift bringer is a log. A magical log with a face. Which is all pretty reasonable. And you, and you feed it food all throughout Advent, just stuffing shit down its throat all Advent. And then on Christmas Eve, all the kids get together and beat it with a stick and say, um, Mr. Log, Mr. Log, poop me a present, just not sardines, is the rough translation. Well, you know, I mean, sorry, nobody wants sardines. Not true, though. Yeah. I actually love sardines. They're insane. You love sardines, They're delicious. but for a yeah. Spanish child with a magical log... You apparently don't want sardines. Um, sardines are the are the equivalent of coal and so yeah. okay, then they're ushered into another room and when they come out they're they're beating the, the beating that they have they have enacted upon this poor overstuffed log has caused him to diarrhea out christmas presents yeah i think that most of us have floor. had that experience yeah yeah i think this is yeah. i'm not mm-hmm. joking yeah i'm not exaggerating i'm not emphasizing like the crassness of this like to, to be silly or goofy this is the legitimate uh, it's cockatillo, Uncle Uncle Pooper, Uncle Pooper, and, and and this is a Spanish tradition. But this is also in the nativity because they really want to emphasize, like what I was saying before about like the crassness of the incarnation and like the sacred grossness of things. And so there is a character that is in every Spanish statuary nativity scene, where he's like basically a shepherd, maybe a hobo. He's definitely like a grizzled dude and he is straight up dropping trow and his bare butt is taking a crap yeah. on the grass <laughs> yes. outside the stable. This is an actual figure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not a rare thing. Yeah, with this like actual poo ejection. Thing. Yeah, no, that's right. right. Like I have seen this. Yeah, with like out. actual poo ejection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I think not, a lot of Catholic Catholic people, figure, but yeah. if they were to, yeah, if I think a lot of Catholic people, Christian people, if they saw this out of context, would go, oh, this is like some secular person like putting something gross in the nativity. No, no, it is not, my friend. It is, it is literally like a very devout spiritual symbol that Spanish Catholics were like, yes, we have a cow, we have a camel, we have a black, white, and an Asian color-coded major. Because those are the only people in the world. Right, those are the only people in the world, no other races. But you know what we really need is is like a guy taking a nervous poop outside of where Jesus is being born. Yeah, yeah, just like I'm so excited. I just got, I just really, I just really got a chuck of deuce right now. <laughs> yeah yeah which is so i you've think, seen this yeah yeah i have i have i have yes um yeah 
Because I actually saw some of these in Spain, like for sale. Because it's so famous now that they will like sell these individual figures. When I went to Spain on pilgrimage, did you buy I one? I saw some of these. I did not buy one. I bought a Templar sword from Toledo, which okay. is like the sword making capital of Europe. Yeah. So I thought that was cooler, and also I'm a nerd. But I should, if I went now, I would buy a, a pooping figure. Yeah. Fact. Because that's actually cooler. It is. Yeah. It's true. But if you if you were in high school, like no high school boy who's offered the chance to buy a sword can resist the chance to buy a sword. So just how it no. is. No. No. Yeah. And then that is a devil's bargain, like to have to choose as a high school boy, having to choose between mm. a pooping action figure or a, a sword. Us, an actual legit man. sword. But, um, well, but yeah, you I know, sword swords, choice. swords. Yeah. Swords are the wise. That's the wise choice. Yeah. Or wait, I actually have the sword. Let me grab it. Yep. That, that is a sword. Um, the thing, that? the thing about that is it's a hundred percent a sword that that's yeah, really so it. YouTube viewers. This is my sword. Yes. It's a actual like Templar sword and has a little made in Toledo. Not Toledo. Yeah, when I went to, so I'll, I'll just set that on the floor next to my, which is my what you, rock star which is, leather Santa cloak, which is what you do with swords. <laughs> all this, all this seems like I really, I'm really dropping the ball and show and tell today. I got nothing. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. Well, it's okay. This is. This is supposed to be a, an an uh, an auditory medium, but I'm breaking that rule. But um, yeah, so you do you see this in Spain, France, everywhere in Europe? These like figures getting crazier and crazier, and more and more personal, and weirder and weirder. And 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 I do love this. I love that there is this emphasis on the crassness. I love that there is this emphasis on the personal, that I myself am in the nativity, that that I'm not necessarily looking my best. Like maybe I'm taking a crap there because Jesus is there to save me, not as I'd like to be in my Sunday best, but as I am like taking a nervous poop outside the stable. Like this is super gross and intentionally so, but it's so profoundly beautiful. I, right. I, I just yeah. I really vibe off of this stuff. Yeah. No, that's fan- that is really that is really fantastic. Um and that uh you're right. I mean the the emphasis here is on the um well, it's it's like this whole Francis thing that you just can't get away from how real it is, right? And that like he just like what's the motivation that Francis says? He just he just wants to see it. He wants to be there. He wants to just like everything he wants his whole person to be a part of this, like not leaving anything behind, you know, not leaving anything behind. Um, and like, and that's fine. You know, that's like, that's actually what the incarnation means. And so like the one thing that he does end up leaving behind is like what some people might consider good taste. Uh, but like, <laughs> it's, uh, but like, okay, that he didn't need good taste. He needed like, the actual devotion that he has, you know? Uh, and like, that's ends up being this much richer reality than like the sort of like social norms of like taste, you know? Yeah. Good, good taste is so overrated, especially when it comes to Christmas. And if there's no other lesson that you've drawn from these last three episodes on Christmas kitsch on Christmas music and this, I hope it's that people, people take that message. This would be a good place to wrap up, but there's like a lot of other things that don't necessarily fall within the linear timeline of nativities that I really want to be able to talk about. There are some of my favorite nativities that we haven't discussed yet, including like mod more modern nativities. Um, and I know that there are some that, that you're kind of obsessed with. I've been I've been talking more than a hot minute about 
Shepard's taking a crap though. So why don't you, what are, what are some of the more modern nativities that you either love or think are hilarious for some reason, or just, I mean, I know we've already talked about, you know, the, the, the three wise men. Um, but, but what are some other sort of modern nativity trappings that we should note in our deep dive here? Um, well, I think like painting wise, my favorite, my, one of my very favorite modern ones is, uh, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a nativity slash adoration of the Magi by Rubens, Peter Paul Rubens, um, which is just insane because he's just showing off. He's like, look, I know how to paint muscles and like, look, I can paint people. And like this canvas is so awesome and it's just crammed with like as many as many figures of as many kinds as you can possibly get into this thing. So you got you do you have like the butcher, the bagel, the canvas, candlestick maker. You got this midget, got a couple of midgets running around. You got camels. You got like people of different races. You got all this. It's just this whole huge, ridiculously over the top explosion. And I love the fact that he's not hiding the fact that like a significant portion of this is like braggadocio about like how amazing his artistic technique is, which is totally fine because it is that amazing. Um, but then also like this is the church and this is the incarnation and like you just can freaking deal with that, you know, um, like it is. I, I, I mean, I think it's important that that's not the only way that these things are depicted, that there are like so. So as you said that there that you you do at sometimes get this kind of arms race where it's like like how many figures how much poop uh, how many things can you put into this uh, into this nativity set. Um, this crash, you know, this crasher precipio or whatever. Um, but there is so, and and one thing I love about this Rubens painting is that it does that. It's like it's the every, it's everybody and the kitchen sink, and the kitchen sink had a couple of babies, and then like I don't know, a camel came from somewhere, <laughs> and I'm not really sure, you know. Um, uh, which is really awesome because that that gives us this universal universality, this kind of uncontrolled, wild aspect of it. Um. But it is also worth noting that, that then you you will have like the exact opposite inspiration, which is just a different way of looking at the way in which we exist in the church, and that's like radically stripped down, you know, where it's like, sure, maybe it's just Mary and Joseph and Jesus, or maybe it's Mary and Joseph and Jesus and like shepherds, or at or or, or, or magi, or like something else, you know. Uh, which again, I think is actually helpful because, like, even theologically, you think, well, okay, I mean, like, yes, we're part of this huge, mass, messy crowd of like everybody that's the church, but also, like, I have to be here individually, mm-hmm. and like, I can't just be riding on everybody else's coattails. Like, I have to be, as you were saying, radically vulnerable and and comfortable enough, free enough, desirous enough, actually in love enough to want to be here myself. Right, and I think that that's an important part of nativity too, which is, um. I want to read this line actually because this this is a perfect kind of setup to what um, what I want to say here. Let me find it. Okay, so so the next line um, in Joe Rody's Noel parody, um, he says, "Noel, Noel, Noel, Noel. Stories don't change, but we change what we tell." And I I think that sums this up perfectly because this isn't so much like, oh, first nativity is depicted this way and then like something else is added to it later on. Like, as you said, this is not a linear line that's redundant, but you you know what I mean? This is all one universal truth, 
but like the Buddhist proverb of the different old man, blind man touching the elephant and one person saying, oh, this trunk is actually a snake or this leg is actually a tree, right? These are different cultures coming in contact with the moment of the incarnation and bringing their own need to it and, and finding that sincerely and genuinely there. Like they're not projecting something false onto it. They are finding sincerely the meaning that they need. So, you know, the, the early Christians are finding this beautiful juxtaposition of life and death in this bound up half mummified skeleton Voldemort baby surrounded by farm animals, right? But then, you know, you're seeing later, this is something we haven't really mentioned specifically, but like as the church, especially under Francis, starts like re-examining its relationship to poverty and recognizing like hey, like Christ does in fact have a preferential love for the poor. We're seeing this beautiful juxtaposition of the Magi now depicted as the three kings, you know, the rich, the wealthy, the educated, you know, juxtaposed against the poor, homeless, reject, social outcast, shepherds covered in animal dung. And like both of these people are are welcomed. And, and Aquinas talks about this in the, in the Summa on his lecture on modesty, how, you know, we, we see the juxtaposition of um, of the kings in their finery and and the shepherds in their slovenliness. And both are incredibly sacred when brought to Christ. Um, and then we're seeing now um, what I think is is really cool. And this is why I'm bringing this up. You know, you mentioned the alternative, and neither of these are bad or good. They're just different kind of schools of artistic thought with the nativity. But you mentioned the kind of sacred, intimate moment of the Holy Family. And I think that that's, that's an important thing, too, where we're seeing, um, like, as, the, as our present culture needs to be focusing more on the central unit of the family and like the importance of the family in a culture where the family has been sort of ripped apart right. by various economic systems or, or different, you know, cultural traumas. Um, the, the sacred moment of, of the family just sharing this intimacy together in the dark mom and, and dad and baby. Um, that's, that's the part of the nativity we need to focus on now, or, or even um, as, as we in our culture, look anew at Christianity's relationship to other religions, right? That's a that's a much more modern conversation, faith conversation than maybe some of the ones they were having in the Middle Ages or the Renaissance. We're starting to focus less on the the Magi depicted as as kings because of their wealth and more on their more authentic depiction as as literal magi, that is to say magicians, wizards of of the Zoroastrian fire worshiping faith tradition, where these are, you know, pagan fire worshiping magician priests who are expecting to find like the fulfillment of their religion and they're venturing off and instead discovering our God. And so, you know, we're focusing more on that and, and their wizardness. And now there are three wizards coming to this very intimate family celebration. And I think that's beautiful too, in the same way that like a shepherd pooping is a representation of, of my spirituality. If I'm coming in in like the 1600s, this intimate moment of the family surrounded by wizards is a very authentic look at what my spiritual needs are right now. That is legitimately the most accurate single sentence summary of your spiritual life I've ever heard, Jacob. Wait, wait, okay, elaborate on that. Why? 
it's just uh, just a quiet intimate fit. moment surrounded by wizards <laughs> yes a quiet moment just a mother of a, a mother a father a child wizards <laughs> i kind of hate that you're so right and i didn't even think of that but what you say sometimes when you see priests you know preachers can get caught up with this too sometimes when we say like this is just the most this is just the most accurate description of my spiritual life right now sometimes we're meaning this in the kind of like collective me collective we kind of like this is a like let's think about our culture sometimes we accidentally mean like yeah basically like you look inside my heart and you're gonna see like a father and a mother and a child and some some mother flipping wizards <laughs> I appreciate you censoring yourself for the one or two children with terrible parents who might still be listening. But... Yes. Exactly. What do you mean? What do you mean censoring? That's I just said a curse. Oh, okay. Fair enough. That's, um, isn't that the, isn't that the word the, the, the curse that the kids say these days? Yeah, mother flipping. That's the I most think so. popular. I think so. Yeah, that's I've the heard most that. I've popular heard that. parlance of the day. Yeah, yeah. You raise an interesting point, though. I mean, I'm I'm sort of raising it as well, but that these different approaches, these different windows into the nativity are representative of our own spiritual needs at that time. I mean, here's an interesting question, and I know it's a deviation, but like if you were to design a nativity based on where you're at spiritually right now, what would that look like? Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, that's that's a really that's a really interesting idea. I don't know if like well I don't know. There would be there could be various cool things that could that could come. And like I don't know, like what would be perfectly expressing like where I am spiritually right now. I think I, I would need a long time to think about that. Um so I I maybe can't answer that um right now just because I think I would need to give even even a remotely honest answer, I would just need a lot more time to reflect on it. Um but there are like very beautiful things that you could do um to like kind of reimagine uh the power the power of a crash in uh in a way i don't know like um i'm just thinking of like um i you know <clears throat> like so catherine of siena who's one of my very favorites you know she's uh she's always talking about like living in christ's heart and like crawling to like the side wound of christ and like dwelling inside of christ and that like that's like her refuge is like that the cave in which uh in which she lives is like the side like, the side wound of christ you know like mm -hmm. um crawling up and scrunching and cuddling into this gaping wound in the side of jesus yeah which is exactly like exactly mm -hmm. basically how she puts it yeah exactly um uh, I don't know. Like, do you see, um, do you, do you present the nativity as like, a, um, as taking place inside the side wound? I don't know. I mean, like that's a, that's oh a, my God, that'd that's be a, so cool. That's a if kind you actually of actually had like a giant crucifix corpus and then like a gash <clears throat> in his side. And in that is the little nativity. Something like that. I don't know. I mean, I just like imagining would it really work? Maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't, but just like, or what if you had like a crucifix that was the whole sort of life of Christ built around his body? Like now people will do that. They will do that like, stuff. Yeah. Have you, I've never seen that before. Yeah. So that, I mean, not like, not like his, his body, the corpus physically consisting of it, but like around, I mean, the, in the background. Yeah. Oh no. Absolutely. I mean his body, like, like literally like the wound is the cave of the nativity and his shoulders are like, 
or his, you know, maybe his one shoulder is, is where the crosses are like on Golgotha. Oh, that would be legit. Yeah. Up. Like, and so you, you actually like associate the different body parts to like different moments in the gospel, which is, I mean, that, now that you could do a deep dive into medieval um, devotion to Christ. Cause there, there is a lot of that, but like, that would be, that yeah. would be really boss. And even like, um, Oh, you know what I was thinking is, um, so this uh, Dominican uh, saint whom I really adore. Um, the blind saint... one who eats pillows for breakfast? Exactly. Uh, no, yeah. only uh, she is blind, though, actually. St. Margaret of Costello. Oh. Um, so she's blind. Oh, yeah, you've and... told me about her. Yeah. yeah, she's blind and she's crippled. Like she's born blind and she's born like hunchbacked, kind of like deformed in some kind of a way. And The like, Ricky Berwick of crippled. Catholicism. I don't know who that is, but I'm going to say Ricky, yes. Ricky Berwick is the is the really crippled YouTuber that I keep. Okay, you have said yes, then him. Yes, (laughs) yes, exactly. Um, And uh, I, yeah, so she has all this and she's like really amazing. Um, When she dies, because, uh, because like they don't care in the, like if you haven't gotten a theme yet, like in the Middle Ages, don't care. Okay, the Middle Ages is too cool for you. um, And you (laughs) are too much of a weirdo to handle the Middle Ages because like when she dies, um, there, I, I, I have translated this, the, this uh, Vita, this life of her, the first life of hers that was written, um, that we have surviving, um, which will be published at some point. Um, but um, it describes how they are doing the, not exactly an autopsy, because they know what she died of, but they're doing like a, well, anyway, they need to get her organs out because they're going to, like, preserve her, you know? Uh, so they've sure, got to get her does. organs out. See, see the relics episode. Well, the best place to do that, of course, is naturally in a church. So they're doing that. Um, so they're taking her organs out in a church. Um, and when – and it describes pretty, pretty graphically how somebody – basically chops like it chops out her heart you know among all the other things and and then from basically one of the from like the aorta um falls i think three gemstones or four anyway what uh, yes and one of them and they have images on them it's so everything about this is amazing they have images on them and like and one of them is the nativity because she like because she constantly meditated on the nativity and she loved the nativity and she like it was at the heart of her spiritual life was the nativity um and like there's this miraculous thing that when her heart is literally torn out of her body uh so that her the rest of her body can be preserved uh out falls uh gemstones like devotion rendered as physical precious objects um on which there are images of this reality of you realize these like graced realities that in fact she literally held in her heart uh and this one has one of the one of them is an image of the nativity uh and i just think that kind of like meta meta thing in like saints lives that's really that's really doing it for me you know that's really cool that yeah. would be that would be an amazing depiction. Yeah. Um to see. Is that on display somewhere? Uh the the Vita describes the way that they are preserved in the sacristy of the Dominican Church um in Costello. Uh I've never been there and I don't know if they still exist. Um Okay. 
So that's or, really, uh, or, really cool. Or, uh, you know, to- tokens associated with that story. Um, I don't know. I don't know if they still exist or not. Um, that's really cool. We're talking the about these century, like so yeah, right. We're talking about these very sacred and mystical nativities that we would love to have seen past tense or would love to see designed future tense in the case of my like super elaborate corpus idea. But um, I want to talk about some of the other like weirder nativities, like the fun ones that we've seen as well. Um, You previewed for me and this I'm I'm saying literally everything I know that you wanted and I can't introduce it better than this. You wanted to talk about a fat nativity at some point. Yeah. Yeah. So like I have given this is at the Art Institute of Chicago, ladies and gentlemen, if you live in Chicago um, or if you like come to Chicago to stalk me. then like yeah, do they, we have groupies listening? I don't know. I hope you so. guys should come stalk us in Florida yeah. or uh, Chicago, respectfully. Yeah, Chicago, uh, and um, uh, that's it's the, the worst place I can imagine. Yeah, there's a lot of killing there, but everyone's a Republican. It's very, it's very <laughs> confusing. It's very confusing. Um, the uh, is at the Art Institute, and I've led a couple of tours. <clears throat> To the art institute and i insist on talking about this image because it's so out of control uh it's from like 1507 1510 ish um it's from this guy we don't know who the painter is but he, he's called the master of Polkow. um and uh so he's like bavarian austrian from the early 16th century um he's a really talented painter um and it's it's all the things about the nativity that you know and love so there's like it but it's, it's the stable kind you know so there's ox and ass um and they are all up on the scene in fact they are way present um and then you've got this like baby jesus who's like lying on a sheaf of wheat um and uh, and he's lying he's also lying on a corporal which is the thing that you spread out um, on top of the priest spread out spread outs on top of the altar um that he puts the oh, cool. um the eucharist on uh the the, the patent chalice that has the eucharist on it um so he's lying on a corporal which is being held by angels and like and and all this kind of stuff everything is about it's amazing and you've got mary in the background you've got joseph it's incorporating some stuff from it from an early apocryphal version of the nativity so he's got joseph was leading a midwife to mary and all this stuff um but p.s like like in the story mary's already given birth and it's and there's jesus and all so it's got everything that you know and love about every like standard nativity scene except like everyone weighs between 300 and 500 pounds and why is that well i have theories I have theories. I mean, at first you just want to laugh and be like, these are some, this, like, this is Mary as a very, very hearty German housefrau, you know? Um, the, the line that's coming to mind is the silence of the lambs where the serial killer Buffalo Bill is like talking to the cop. It's like, is she a great big fat person? Oh dear. <laughs> a great big fat person. Is she a great She's big just, fat person? It's incredible. Like Mary looks like, a house she's gigantic and joseph is he's smaller in the background he is so fat that his belly is hanging over his belt yeah they look a little like they were stung by bees it's incredible i love them so much i love everything about them um i have various theories for why they are as big as houses um i actually do think it has to do with um uh by the way baby jesus is fat the angels are fat as all get out these are fat ass angels like they, their wings are not doing it they are fat angels you know um and uh because they're beautiful butterfly yeah yeah because they because they do not fly with the wings they fly with grace um <laughs> which is how they do it um 
but I think I think it's actually trying to represent, among other things, super abundance, super mm. abundance. That there's just so much there, there that like normal human proportions are not going to hold how much there there is. That like he actually uses, he does like kind of the think actually what like Michelangelo is doing that you're going to use the physical characteristics of the body to manifest visibly the indwelling of God or the indwelling of grace. If it's, you know, talking about, um, you know, Mary and Joseph and stuff um, only instead of saying, I'm going to render this as like abs and like ripped muscles, you say like massive, massive it's just going to be everything's just going to be massive just huge just just spilling out fat everywhere gigantic you know joseph's so full of grace that his belly is hanging over his belt and you can't even see it anymore uh mary as big as a house uh like angels who can't even fly with their little chubby baby wings because like they are just like all spilling out with everything everywhere and in the middle of all of this like super abundance which is just like crazy everything everywhere is like fat and happy baby jesus who's just like lying on a corporal so like what are they all filled with guess what it's the eucharist like it's the life of grace it's them living with jesus christ inside of them and like they like normal human proportions literally can't even hold them Wow. I love that as a visual. I really do. Like that super abundance thing is super beautiful. I mean, again, it's one of those things that's right up my alley where it's like the sacred crassness, you know, I, but God, that's really, really cool. This is at it's, the art museum in Chicago. The, the, art, the art Institute of Chicago. It is the, it is the hottest thing since sliced bread, which is not necessarily hot, but, uh, but it is, it is just, it's so great. And like, I love everything about it. Cause like Mary doesn't even necessarily look pretty per se, like not in the kind of standard sense. Um, and like all in the foreground, you see all of these irises and you're like, what are all these irises doing now? Irises are like, um, possibly my favorite flower, so I'm happy they're there just on, for their own sake. But you think, like, what are all these irises doing? Well, iris in German is a Schwertlilie. Um, so it's a sword lily because a sword will pierce her heart. Oh, damn! But it's a lily because of the purity and perfection, right? So, um, Oh, that's pretty cool. So it's like everything is there. Like, um, it's just, again, like everything is spilling out. And I just, like, I love that so much. I love that so much. Like, but, but the, the times when I've done art, like I've done tours of this and like brought groups to it. Um, I try to save it for last because it's such like a showstopper. And, um, and like, you know, you've seen all these like beautiful paintings, these like Renaissance paintings and then these like medieval paintings and everyone's used to like these certain aesthetics and all these stuff. And then you show them this like ginormous, um, kind of like housefrau, uh, Mary who has kind of like, it's got a lot more gray in her face. Like she just doesn't, or just her face does not look like kind of classical Italian Renaissance pretty. Mm-hmm. And like most of the time, people laugh when they first see it. Um, like they think I'm going to kind of make fun of these like ginormous like housefrau and like this this like fat ass Joseph. No, nobody knows his fat ass Joseph. He sees in the background, but um, uh, and so they laugh, which I want them to like because I I want them to feel the incongruity of it, like the way in which this is not what we are accustomed to. Um, sure. but this is also not just kind of like woke, super sensitive, kind of like 2020, like um, uh, body positive inclusivity, which can just feel sort of like cheap, you know, like sure. 
you just throw me a bone here because like I'm fat or whatever, but like leave me alone, you know, like I want to be authentically valued for myself, you know, um, right. not as and, not as a not as a sticker or a poster child. But, yeah, but like oh boy, you're including you're including large people. Like thank you, no, but just like just to here I am, you know. Um, yeah. But this is just so authentic. I, so I want to be able to like. It's great because I love that this image automatically provokes that kind of like ha! sort of like wow. This looks hilarious in a way that is like, this is just not what I'm expecting the Holy Family or the Nativity to look like. Um, sure. And then and then you unpack it and then you just realize, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Like then you're like laughing with a delight because there's just such glory there. You know, there's such glory. Then you realize like, oh, if my only notion of beauty is like the mid to late 16th century in northern italy i am missing life or mid to late 20th century victoria's secret <laughs> yeah in fact then i'm like yeah. legitimately missing life and i can't understand my own body and i can't understand other people's bodies and i can't understand the way that which in which the body is made to manifest the re the glory of god wow you know? that is hardcore and 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 i do love you're right like laughing because of the incongruity and the unexpectedness and then laughing from joy and meaning and, and spiritual significance. Like that is, that is how we approach the original nativity as well. Yeah. Like that kind of like, what the hell am I looking at? This is a God baby in a, in a garbage can. And then suddenly it's like, no, this is, this is this amazing thing. Like I, and I think, of all the nativities we're talking about when they're done effectively present that vibe. Like, like an effect, I would argue, and this is an artistic point more than a moral or a spiritual one for sure, just to be clear, but like, we often try to make some kind of, uh, like artistic takeaway as we're nearing the end of the podcast, which I still don't want to be because there are other things I want to mention. But one of the things that I would throw out there for listener consideration is like, if you have the opportunity to design a nativity, first of all, awesome, good for you. And second of all, an effective nativity doesn't make you feel warm and fuzzy. An effective nativity should go, whoa, that's weird. And then invite you into like, oh, but it's sacredly weird. You know, like that, that I think is, is the true kind of spirit of the, of the visual. I don't know. Do, would you agree with that or? Um, I mean, I'm y like, I like that it can have those, you know, like I, uh, I mean, nothing's going to, nothing has to provoke any particular reaction, you know, but like, um, uh, but there is something really powerful about the way in which nativity scenes have the capacity to like um, unsettle, even even in being very familiar um, mm. and not, you know, I wouldn't say exactly just like, and, I'm, and you're not saying this, but like not exactly just to be like, I'm a freak out the squares. Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah. No, no, not but shocking like, for shocking sake. No, exactly. All. Not, but like, yeah, uh, but authentically no, never, never like, that. Yeah. But authentically just like they're. I want to see more richly into this and like, let's do it, you know, mm. like however that's going to work. And I think it is, especially because like with the nativity, cause it's such a familiar image. Like it's always going to have that kind of like either, either we we're, we're just kind of settle for like um, these like hilariously hallmarky kind of um, like, blur blurry uh sort of like soft 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 lens filter kind of like paintings of like oh baby talked about oh adorable um or there is something kind of like a hot take hot mess 
thing going on, which should be kind of discomforting in the end, like exciting, but discomforting and like leading to greater joy and glory. Like, I think that's right. I think there's something really there. Yeah. I, I, and yet you're right. There are nativities that are created just to shock for being shocking's sake. And we don't like those. I want to talk about some of those. I want to talk about some, some, and, and, and they're part of a larger category. Um, maybe I'll introduce it this way. So there is, um, a Franciscan brother in Cincinnati where we met, um, at St. Francis Seraph parish, which is sort of like the, the church in the poorest area of downtown Cincinnati. And it serves the poor down there. And he grew up very, very poor. Um, and his like one gift every year that his mom would give him was every year she would give him a little Fontanini nativity figure. And so over the course of his life, he amassed this very large Fontanini collection and he loved the nativity so much that other people started gifting him these different nativities, uh, brother, brother, Tim Suture, I believe is his name. And, um, I, I think I'm pronouncing the last name correctly. Anyway, so people started gifting him nativities from all over the world that they would pick up in these different places. And now one of the brewing companies in, in Cincinnati, Christian Moreland Brewing, one of the oldest, uh, beer breweries in, in the city, um, every Christmas they give him a little folding chair and this, you know, cute little monk sits there in a Santa hat and greets people and shows them his personal nativity collection of like 500 different nativities. That's amazing. Um, from all over the world. And um, outside they have a perpetual living nativity that is open to the poor 24 seven. So there are these two farms that bring their animals out and they build a pen in the back of the church um, out like in the little courtyard outside and they have a like a miniature donkey which is the cutest freaking thing in oh the my world gosh. Like, i freaked oh my gosh. out when i saw this little fuzzy donkey and then to represent primarily the people they're serving they have um two african-american mannequins um representing uh mary and joseph and a little plastic uh african-american baby doll and then a host of sheep and and you know a couple of goats and and stuff like that all, all around, all, all alive. And a couple of years ago, this sounds like a Hallmark movie story. And I actually want to pitch him on doing this as a children's book. But a couple of years ago, the security guard who hangs out back there at night calls, um, calls brother Tim and says, one of the sheep is freaking out and you need to come down here right now. Like it looks bad. And he comes down and he realizes no one's known but one of the sheep was pregnant. Oh my gosh. And it is giving birth right now on Christmas Eve. Stop. And so they call the farmer and this lamb is born at midnight on Christmas Eve. Oh my gosh. And they name it Noel the sheep. Stop. And like, it sounds so twee. Like you can't imagine it's true, but it's true. Like he showed me the, the sheep. And it's the cutest little sheep. And he sent me photos of like when it was born and it is adorable. And then you go into the actual brewing company and there are these like hundreds and hundreds of nativities from all over the world depicted in different like folk customs. So there is like the Peruvian nativity where everyone's in traditional Peruvian dress with, you know, improving folk art. And instead of sheep or camels, there's little llamas, you know, and yeah. And the, you know, African nativity has elephants and, you know, all these things made in those countries in the folk art style of that country. Um, 
Africa is not a country, obviously, but I forget which African country this this particular nativity was from. There's a, a really cool like um, Alaskan like Inuit nativity. Oh, cool! Um, all all kinds of really re- a couple of different um, Native American and First Nation tribes are represented. Really, really cool stuff. Um, that's you know sometimes that's really beautiful and sometimes that's really cool. But there are also the times where that is like grotesque and bordering on. And it's very rare that I would ever say anything was actually blasphemous. I mean, you know me, I have a pretty high tolerance for, for this kind of stuff. I'm a little bit of an edgelord. If you haven't picked that up by the, but you know, by this point in the podcast, um, I, I like the sacred crass as I've been saying over and over again, but, but some of these nativities, not in his collection, none of these are in his collection, but some of these that I've seen, like, um, I was in a gift, a Christmas store in Savannah, Georgia over the summer and they had like a nativity where all of the figures were puppies. So there was like a oh, Jesus man. puppy and a Mary oh, no. puppy. There was Don't one where they were all like black bears in like a little like cabin style stall. Oh, black bears, like, stable. That's fun. <laughs> little bears. There's oh, like gosh. you know, the, and 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 some of these get a little weird. I don't know. What what's your feeling on how far we can change a nativity in the way they're represented before it becomes just not the nativity anymore. I mean, it's pretty obvious that like, if you depict it in a Peruvian folk setting, you're still trying to represent the nativity in a beautiful way, just with a different artistic tradition and with a different like cultural focal point. I would think maybe you disagree with me. Right. No, no, no. I, I, I think, I think that's right. So that's I mean, beautiful and sincere, but then there's this line that we crossed at some point where nativity is like teddy bears where you go, this isn't, this isn't this the nativity isn't anymore. anymore. Yeah. This is, this is, a, this is a saccharine cultural thing. I would say like, maybe this is just off the top of my head, but if you can think of it as, um, an apparition, you know, like like so, you know, the the, um, the Virgin Mary, uh, particularly for the last 500 years or so, um, for reasons known only to her and the Lord, um, will like very, very, very rarely um, like appear to use often a people that are sort of new to Christianity or whatever. Um, we'll make sort and, of Bill Murray-esque cameo appearances. Yeah. And like uh, uh, and just um, and will appear basically invariably like looking like the people to whom she's appearing you know right the most notable um, being like our lady of guadalupe, our lady of guadalupe is an important one also like a, a half mayan person half spanish person and bringing yeah. those cultures together in this private apparition that she appears to saint exactly and so like and we we understand this like it's not denying the historical specificity of her of her life as like a first century um jewish woman um which is indispensable and central to like the, the mystery of of who she is and who she is in our lives and stuff yeah um, i think but i think i want to say this really quickly the the present tense verbiage you're using there is really important critical like yeah who critical. she was but who, who she, she is mary you know. is presently yeah a right. jewish woman yeah yes, exactly continue. and so um and we see that like also the you know i uh, that she can manifest to her her body is already alive in heaven, uh, and so it can communicate the reality of who she is in some ways that a norm that a that a pre-resurrected body body can't. 
Um, and, uh, and so it seems that part of the way in which she manifests herself as mother to all nations and mother to all people is in these particular circumstances that she will manifest with even being literally one of them by, by physical appearance without ceasing to be who she is, but like she meant that her manifests her body in a way that is as if so dramatically their mother that she's like one of them. Mm. Um, and I think what, the reason I bring that up in this context is like if we can imagine it, these nativities, these creches, if we can imagine them being that, like they have to authentically be messengers of the incarnation. They have to be trying to represent the historical reality of the incarnation. Um, and like it is a splendid and, and glorious something way. about it. And yeah, something about it. Yeah. It is a splendid and glorious way to represent the historical living reality of the living reality of the incarnation to represent like me and my entire village, like carrying our stuff to baby Jesus. Like, mm -hmm. and baby Jesus is probably like baby Jesus and his, and his parents are probably going to look like me and my villagers, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that's like and all awesome. So. That is a really beautiful, respectful, um, deep dive into the glory of the incarnation um, so I'd say like anything with the, with the nativity where we can think of that it's, it's happening in that way, then like boss, but once it is no longer manifesting the resurrection or manifesting the incarnation, I think then we're just in a, then we are in a world of like emotional manipulation and, and kitsch in its, in its most negative sense. Yeah. Um, in the most, in the absolute most, negative, in the absolute like, negative sense, sense, you know, yeah. um, I, I like what you're saying though, because in my mind it was like. A matter of dignity which you're which you're not not saying um but you're going a step further in, a, in an area i really like which is when christ or or mary in an apparition appears differently than a first century arab jewish person they are doing so to ingratiate themselves and to affirm something about the culture where they're appearing and the person to whom they're appearing um Jesus or Mary, they're not going to appear to dogs. They're not going to appear to yeah. bears, right? So I think it's it's not just like oh, G Teddy Bear Baby Jesus or Mary Baby G or a uh, uh, Puppy Baby Jesus is like somehow classless. Although yes, it is. It's tasteless and classless. But also, like Jesus cares about you. Jesus cares enough to yep. appear to you. He doesn't yeah. appear to a teddy bear, right? right. And and I think ironically like wow this is really cool because uh, okay sit with me here I'm, I'm, I'm kind of live processing this so i might not get my words exactly right but all the nativities we've talked about you and i as the viewer are a central participant in that living narrative mm, sure right we are players in that story the story still is going on whether that's in an explicit way because a, a little physical carving of me is in the nativity or whether I'm walking through St. Francis's nativity of live animals or whether it's just set in my time period or whatever it is. I'm part of that scene. I'm part of the art form, but by making a nativity, it's easy to, to assume that a nativity representing baby Jesus as a bear or a dog is wrong because it misdepicts Jesus. But it's almost wronger, I know that's not a word, but it's almost more wrong that it subtracts me from the equation because sure. it makes the audience the teddy bear or the puppy rather than me and then becomes anti-incarnational 
yeah. anti-human because I'm no longer part of the narrative. Right, right, it right. It becomes this right. thing over there, and that's why it's kitsch in the most toxic sense because I'm no longer actually part of it. That's really interesting. I never would have... That never would have popped into my head unless you said the apparition. Yeah, I think that's really helpful thinking about that. It, that it it excludes the viewer that this is that you're right that this is happening strictly speaking without you, except for your basest passions basically because it all is really playing on is like oh my gosh like mom loves teddy bears loves teddy bears so like look teddy bears you know um mm. so it's playing on it's playing on your baser passions you know it's just like. Which is to say, well, it's, 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 not it's emotionally manipulative. You you know? Like, it's not. I'm not saying that it's wrong to love teddy bears, but no, but like, like but but to like, but like all that like a teddy bear representation of the nativity does it like it just hooks emotion into this like emotional aspect of the person, which is not bad. And like, sure, fine, mm-hmm. love teddy bears, that's fine. It just hooks into it, and then it drags that down, and that's it. And it you know? and it boils them down to being just that. That's all mom is now. Yeah. Like yeah, mom yeah, yeah. isn't a child of God anymore who Christ became incarnate for. Mom is just a person who likes teddy bears. Who likes teddy like bears. And she just, it's reductionist and objectifying everything. in the yeah. crassest way. Yeah. And she's happy. She's so obsessed with teddy bears that she's happy to see literally every beautiful thing turn into a teddy bear. It's like yeah. she has the Midas touch, and isn't that amazing? Only it's the Midas touch that turns into teddy bears, which is like way worse than Midas. Actually, that sounds like a Black Mirror episode or like a Twilight Zone episode. Like yeah, exactly. They touch turns into a stuffed teddy animal. bear. Ugh. Ugh. That is creepy yeah. on like like yeah. a level I can't describe. But this, but the, the sad thing is though, maybe I shouldn't even bring this up because this might take us too long. But some of these really cool cultural nativities. Like, for instance, the Peruvian one are in in a very um, very cemented place, which is this year, the Va- the official Vatican nativity set um, is a Peruvian nativity with llamas and stuff in it. Awesome. Um, That's so and, legit. And every year, I actually, I'm friends on Facebook with this guy from Malta who like designed the nativity for the Vatican a couple of years ago, um, Manuel Gretsch. Um, Interesting feller, but, um, but sometimes the Vatican and that's cool. Like the, 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 you know, Peruvian folkloric or not folkloric folk, folk art, um, nativity scene is cool, but sometimes the Vatican nativity scene is not received quite so well. Right. Um, and, and borders on kind of what we're talking about here, um, with with kind of the crassness specifically i'm thinking about last year where it was like spaceman nativity made out of like weird dowel pegs and then the year before that where there was a sincere attempt to make it a reflection of i believe the works of mercy which are you know these these sort of tactile things we do to love other people in christ's name feed the hungry you know clothe the naked bury the dead but but to depict this they literally had like somebody burying a dead guy in front of the baby Jesus and, and things like this. And, and there were some people who hated that. And there were some people who really liked that um, with the space manativity. Almost everyone hated that who knew about it anyway. Um, talk, talk to me about that. I mean, what are your, without, I like, was, yeah, I was freaking thinking, out, but like, yeah, yeah. No, what are our we thoughts on some of these that. Vatican nativities and the point of the Vatican nativity and like why it's weird sometimes yeah, well, why it's weird sometimes, I think, is just that, like, 
you know, it, it, then it can it can just fall into bureaucratic art politics, you know. And so, like, well, I have to, I want to look inclusive, and I want to, but I want to look modern, but I want to look like local, and I want to look. I think I said, I think I think it's just falling between a whole bunch of different like bureaucratic stools, basically. Um, and like, it can just end up being sort of quality, quality, like artistic reality. A real artistic quality is, I think. Um, low on the list of points that are trying to be made there and i think that's a real that's a real degradation of the church's uh dignity and glory as a patron of the arts um mm-hmm. so i'm so I'm, I'm sad to see that but like okay i mean but it's not like they're the only ones but because like father, the so, ones. father so-and-so from down the street also doesn't know how to be a patron and i also am very passionate about that but um uh but i was thinking we were just talking i was really thinking about that spaceman nativity because because of how disincarnate it was um like it's not you're not a part of it it's not taking place on earth it's not these aren't these aren't humans they're not humanoid there's no like there's no like drawing me into it even the kind of like um that alienation that sort of feeling of like um that we were talking about with like uh uh plus size mary um and uh and all like it's not like a shock followed by like oh a dig a deep dive in and I discover like radically more about the incarnation than I did before. This is like a shock, and then I try to dive in and I realize that it's like a quarter of an inch deep, and there's no diving to be had, and there's no revelation of the incarnation to be had, and like that's it, you know. So I feel like that particular one, um, it's not just that I don't. You can say like. I mean, I'd be you know, happy to say like there are, there are things artistically with it, stylistically as an aesthetic that I don't think work, that I think were more sort of like art political than like artistic mode by in motivation. Um, but uh, but I think that but I think ultimately that like that's the problem with it as a nativity is just that it's like disincarnate. And like, what's the point then? I mean, it may mm-hmm. as well be teddy bears. Right. And and to to reiterate, I mean, when we say disincarnate, what we're meaning is that there isn't that invitational capacity. I am not part of it. It doesn't say something about my human dignity alongside and, of, of and Christ's is it, human dignity. What's it even saying about Christ's humanity? Right. Sure. You know, yeah. like it's it, that one. I think went far enough to be like, what are we even saying about Christ's humanity? Um, but then also mine too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I mean, what would be what would be then? I mean, I, I already know I, I proposed one takeaway for, for artists of my own. I proposed that a few minutes ago. But based on what we're exploring now, I mean, if there's if there's some artist, Catholic, Christian, purely secular who wants to experiment in the space with this with this uh, theme, with this imagery. I mean, like, what are some of the based on the, the highs and lows, the pros and cons of some of the nativities we're exploring in this conversation? What are, what are some of the takeaways we might offer to to artists trying to do something with this in this space i mean what would be your two cents that you would add to that well i don't think i just don't think that a secular artist is going to be able to have like a rich intuitive grasp of this subject um and so i would say i would say like i just um people have different takes on this i generally don't think that um secular people can can make um, really strong, revelatory, insightful art of a of a religious and sacred nature, um, specifically with Christianity, because they just can't. They can you can you can play with the forms all you want. You can do all kinds of like clever things, but like 
this is again this is what you're saying from the very beginning this is about a revelation of the way in which god became flesh right and if i don't believe that he did then it's going to be really hard for me to do anything other than just like make make nice make nice formal play you know mm-hmm. like somebody who's been trained in like musical composition and like number theory um can string together um a pattern of notes that will sound um to an untrained ear kind of like mozart actually they just won't have any of its splendor or beauty you know but you can sure. train anybody to do that you know and this is a general um, point about the arts that i think is important like the late norm mcdonald who i mentioned in another podcast um you know graduate of saturday night live talks about how you know he thinks the key to doing a good uh, comedic impression of a celebrity or a politician is to genuinely like them like he yeah. doesn't think you can do a good impression of someone, a funny or authentic impression of someone, even though you're taking the piss out of them, even though essentially you're picking on them, unless you have like a deep interior respect for them. And I think that that's essentially what you're saying. Like, unless you have a personal relationship with Christ on some level, even a, even a just, tentative yeah. level, you probably can't do this. Yeah, just maybe just look for some other way to express your art, you know, which is totally fine. And just like, come back, Lindo, put a, put a, put a, Put a pin in it and come back later if you want, but just maybe not right now. Because I do think that like one of the most important things to do here is um uh is to meditate really richly on the scriptures, uh, and to meditate really richly on like um art of art history of like depictions of the nativity. Um, not because you're gonna copy them, but precisely to see like what what have these um people seen. And like, how can I be challenged by like the freedom of what they, of, of what they have the freedom to see, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I think like that's, cause ultimately this is the, uh, this is the claim of faith here is that like, this can never just be a story. It can never just be like words on a page that like the more that I like dwell with this nativity reality in my heart, then it can like. Let me put it this way. You're like, you are asking in by your labor, by your hard work, by your study, by your like endeavoring to hone your skills as finely as you possibly can. You're looking to, to produce like Margaret of Costello's like heart image of the nativity, like the image that you bear in your heart. You want to like pull out and present mm. to somebody. Um and you can't do that unless you have the nativity in your heart, unless you actually want to meditate on it and like let it let it like crystallize down, you know, and and really burn and really become solid. And then it can really become a gem with an image on it that you are ready to present, you know. Well, and I think, you know, you were joking before about, you know, the little intimate family with surrounded by wizards being a good represent, representation of my spirituality. But I think you're hitting on something here. I want to do a whole episode at some point about the difference between art and propaganda. But, you know, without getting into the full exploration of that, I, th- I think what we're both pointing to here, maybe you would disagree or add nuance to it, but I think what we're both pointing to here is if you're going to create some religious artwork, and it's a sincere expression of where you're at spiritually. Even if it's really effed up, there's going to be something true, good, and beautiful there um, for us to look at. But if you're going in to create a, a work of religious art, if it's an, whether it's an activity or whether it's like a movie, and you're trying to didactically deliver a message to somebody else about something, it's 
probably gonna come off really it's gonna probably gonna be toxic yeah probably so yeah like because if, if it's a reflection of who you are because we are active participants in the nativity in the true living in like ongoing incarnation and because we're characters in that narrative if it's about your relationship with christ if it's about you and jesus together in that space there's going to be something sacred in there even if there is a llama or you know a, a, a morbidly obese mary or whatever it is but if you're saying oh i i really want to go you know introduce this to somebody else in this way or that way it's probably not going to work yeah yeah totally yeah well, look, I mean, we've we've been at this now two and a half hours, which on the one hand, I love because I kind of love the idea of people driving home for Christmas and listening to this. Um, awesome. But, uh, I hope but that on happens. The, but on the other hand, um, as many other stories and activities as I'd like to get into, we're just going to have to save it for next Christmas. So I love you, buddy. Thank you for doing this with me. This I, is I great, man. I hope you have a Merry Christmas, man. I, I hope it's really, really blessed. And, and listener, I hope... You know, from our family to yours, you have a Merry Christmas as well. <laughs> I don't have a family, but Merry Christmas. Our family is the whole church, Father Gabriel. <laughs> and, and anybody who listens, our little podcast family, anybody listening, you know, you're our family. And we love you very much. And we wish you Merry Christmas. Go forth and create cool things. This has been Created Things, an art, soul, and mind production with Jacob Flores Popcheck and Father Gabriel Toretta. Production by Kyle Meineke and Jessica Flores. Theme song by Federico Carranza. For more on the podcast and on its hosts, visit artsoulandmind.com. <laughs>